watch him closely. What's the secret, Mac? You just gotta find something you love to do and then do it for the rest of your life. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Hello, and welcome to The Establishing Shots, a podcast where we do deep dives into directors and their filmographies. We are on episode seven of the podcast. Uh, Episode seven, yeah. And on the sixth movie in Wes Anderson's filmography. So yeah, over halfway there, hit the halfway point, I think, last week. If I'm not mistaken, and uh, yeah, we're uh, we're over the Wes Anderson hill, if you will. Uh, so yeah, I've got uh, back with me for his second guest appearance on the show, Hayden Fob. Glad uh, to be ready to yeah. talk some foxes and some um, adult uh, middle age crises and some yes childhood acceptance problems, and let's dive into this little stop motion wonderful masterpiece that he's given us absolutely uh yes we will do that um i don't have to uh, make hayden give his uh life story to you guys since hopefully you've heard it before uh back on the rushmore episode but um yeah it's um it's exciting uh we're i'm ready i'm ready for for some fox talk um hayden uh Hayden, uh, we were just talking before the show. Hayden feels like he has the the Kylie eyes uh, because he's been flying all over the place, Europe and yes, I went to Chicago um, for a conference and then Atlanta for a conference and then Europe for a week on vacation and then Atlanta <laughs> again um, to speak at a conference. Uh, so I am, I'm, I think I'm on a lot of sleep, which is what's weird about it. Is like last night I got. <laughs> Ten hours of sleep, but I still am just Kylie eyed out. Um, I've got yeah. the swirls, and if you catch me staring in silence, um, yeah. just throw me a blueberry. Yeah, d- hopefully not a laced blueberry though. Yes, uh, no lace. Yeah, you, you don't need that. Um, maybe a maybe a blueberry laced with like melatonin to go to sleep later. But uh, I feel yeah. like a, a glass of a glass of that, you know, uh, apple cider. The liquid gold as the red oh, yeah. will just hit the spot. Wake me up. Just there's gotta yeah. be some caffeine in that stuff. Yeah, for sure. Well, you might even you might end up with some of the mud that they they gave him to make him think he was drinking it, and you would that just think so you're so tired, you would just think it was the real stuff. That was so sad. <laughs> it was sad. <laughs> I want, we can talk about this later, but I wonder if he ever even tasted it. Truly, did he? Or was he drinking it? Yeah, he was. He was he literally was, drinking it. When they when they ran into him, that's that's what's funny about it is like he's like I just wanted a taste of that cider and I'm like like come on Willem Rat like you, you were 40, drinking it Route 44 <laughs> yeah uh, right, I don't man. know maybe he was just so addicted like he just needed another that's what happens when you're a psychotic rat you just yeah use the liquid gold yeah you know uh, who knows yeah but uh yeah so we're um. Like I said, we're on the sixth film in Wes Anderson's filmography, Fantastic Mr. Fox. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll jump right in. Uh, 
jump right in, um, burrow, burrow down into, uh, what's going on in this movie. Um, yeah, the little, uh, one of my favorite, uh, things in like the extra features on the criterion disc is like, it, it shows you like, uh, the six armed, Mr. Fox, they they had they made like a little six armed Mr. Fox that his arms like rotated to get that like (laughs) digging effect. Oh yeah, it's great. But uh, but yeah, let's 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 talk about it. Um, uh, have you have you ever read any Roald Dahl books? I have not actually. Um, Okay, very unfamiliar with Roald Dahl. Yeah, so I, to be honest, I've only read one. And, uh, I've read fantastic Mr. Fox. So, um, yeah, I love the movie and my wife bought it, bought me the book when I don't remember what it was for father's day, Christmas, something like that, you know? So, uh, yeah, I read it. It's actually like, even if you're like a slow reader, I'm not that fast of a reader. I'm pretty slow. Um, admittedly, but, uh, but yeah, I read it in like probably just like, an hour or two it's it's pretty short i really read it quickly so i should just give it like a couple of hours and just yeah i've straight through it yeah just like swing swing by barnes and noble or the library or whatever pick it up read it go home you know because it's like it's truly a kid's book right like it's oh yeah for sure it's a chap like it's a chapter book but um but a really low level chapter book yeah like um no but in two years, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like my son is four, and like he, I mean, we're working on like reading some, but yeah, he can't read yet. But yeah, he, um, I mean, it's a book we we could read to him now. Like he, yeah. he'll sit down and listen, or you know, play while he listens to you read a book. Yeah, you really um, need to get on. But um, I plan to have my son reading by six months. Yeah, yeah. So you know, well, good luck with that. <laughs> Yeah, but but by, by like six years old, yeah, six seven, yeah. probably okay. yeah, yeah. Like he could probably watch this movie, like soon. You know, it's mm-hmm. not. There's not anything. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about like the kid movie nature of it and stuff. But uh, but yeah, I, I was just wondering if you had read anything. Um, I actually like didn't think the book was like that fantastic, if you will. Um, I didn't grow up like reading Roald Dahl and it's, it's a bit different, like as an adult, I guess, trying to go back some, some like ch- children's books, like I can go back and read and they're like really good. Um, but yeah, that, that, not that one for me. I don't, I'm not really sure why, because I absolutely love this movie, but also like, I guess the medium of movies like kids movies speak to me more than kids books do yeah. um, as an adult. And so um, it, it might just be the medium. Yeah. I think, I think um, that's what it is. Um, you have to write things in a certain way for their brains to comprehend it. But when you put it on a screen and speak it to them, they're able to yeah. catch things bigger. So I'm sure there's yeah, maybe so. creativity that can be expressed yeah. in a film. Yeah, but also you can, I feel like it's easier to like layer a film with, um, and I, I really like him jumping way ahead of my notes, but yeah, I do feel like this is like a pretty layered film, like, which a decent amount, like Pixar's always been really good about, about that is like, 
making kids movies that like are layered with adult problems too that kids won't really understand and they can enjoy on a kid level but adults can enjoy it on an adult level um so yeah um but yeah uh yeah so i'm not like super familiar with doll but yeah wes um wes anderson was and is i guess a big role doll fan um he talked about how it was his favorite author. Him and his brothers like loved Roll Doll books and they would, you know, borrow them from each other and like steal them from each other. And, uh, and yeah, so, you know, he, obviously he, Mr. Fox was his, one of his, he, he named two favorites that I read in an interview. Yeah. Um, and Mr. Fox was one of them. I don't remember the, the, the wonderful life of Henry sugar. No, it wasn't actually. Yeah, unless the, I, it might have been um because i think that book is like an anthology if i'm not mistaken yeah. and That's so what, yeah. it might be one of the stories in there it was like danny champion of the world or something like that hmm. which i don't know if it's standalone or part of that yeah henry sugar book or whatever but cool but yeah those were his favorites and so um you know mr fox i guess when he was thinking about what kind of you know, animated kids movie he might make. Mr. Fox was like top of the list for him. I guess it wasn't like he happened upon it. It was like something that had been in the back of his mind. Um, you know, he, he said in an interview, he had been thinking about doing something with it for like 10 years, which is kind of a trend. You know, I feel like every week I'm talking about how he had been thinking about this movie, like while he was still making the past movie or the one before, like he, he has all these ideas kind of rolling around in the back of his head, which is probably pretty normal for a filmmaker. I would guess. Yeah. I feel like they have a different mind space where they're constantly thinking of stories and how they. Uh, Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, I, and I do think, um, I do think like, like Wes thinks that doll has like a unique Mm -hmm. and, uh, pretty like he has a knack for the child's perspective like Mm. um what will make what makes a child scared what makes a child fascinated what makes a child laugh what sorts of things are children interested in hearing about Mm. you know all that sorts of stuff like you get the feeling that like doll just like had that in his mind like it's the way he thought because i mean you think about Stories like, uh, like Matilda, uh, like, uh, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, like, uh, which are some of his like bigger books. Um, like those are just like, like obviously what a child would think about, you know, Mm -hmm. what would interest a child. Um, yeah. And the ability to write stories without feeling a need for a larger scale of consequence Mm -hmm. to just write a fun story about a fox stealing chickens or uh, a chocolate factory where crazy things happen. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, the, the fantastic Mr. Fox book is literally like the bare bones of, if you've seen the movie, but haven't read the book, the book is like the bare bones of the middle section of the movie. Yeah, the book is um, mainly just the robbing of Bardis Bean, right? Yeah, sort of like he, the the fox, um, Mr. Fox, like, wants to do that. 
and he starts doing it and then they start digging him out. Um, but they don't ever get to him. It's yeah, like, basically like the story. And yeah, like uh house Ash yeah. and Christofferson don't even like have names, I don't think, in the book. Yeah, well Christofferson, there's there's not any kid characters, and there's actually like a litter of foxes in the book. Mm. So yeah. Um the mother's more like kind of like traditional house mother kind of figure in the book. She doesn't have like a whole lot of agency, which there's not like, but like I said, it's pretty bare bones. Like there's not really much opportunity to give her any. <laughs> yeah. Like, but, uh, but yeah, the, the I will say this, Bogus Bunsen and Bean are like way grosser in the, in the book. Like yeah. they're, they're like, like they're, they were like pretty, especially um, Bean. Uh, now I'm mixing them up. Bean is the cider guy, right? Um, Bogus Bunch. Yes. Bean. Yes. That's the one that. Yes. Yes. Um, so, yeah, you know, he is kind of the mastermind in the movie, and the other guys are kind of like bumbling minions almost. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in the book, they're all just kind of like gross and greedy and disgusting <laughs> they're like not super like like being in the movie is pretty menacing but in the book yeah they're all just kind of like you don't like any of them but there's not like and they're like threatening but not i don't think they're threatening to the level that bean is in the movie like he definitely like amplified bean for sure yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Wes, but, in, in the commentary, he talks a lot about uh, how he formed Bean's character, and he almost formed it as uh, the way he says it is he took the image of Roald Dahl himself and tried to put him in an antagonistic role as hmm. Mr. Bean himself. Um, so, like, yeah. the, the way he dresses, the way he speaks, the cigarette smoking, those were all apparently staples of Roald Dahl. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that's, that's interesting too, because, um, you you also hear like the opposite of that for Mr. Fox. Like yeah. he he kind of tried to think of of Mr. Fox as like as doll also. Yeah. Um so it's interesting because I, I didn't listen to the commentary on the Criterion disc. Um I know you did. Uh so yeah, I did I didn't I didn't know that. Um he kind of did the it's kind of like he did the um I don't know. The good side, the good and the dark side of doll in those two characters. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the other, the other, I think one of the main differences in the book too, is just, um, you know, he, well, at one, at one point, uh, they're talking about like the tail getting shot off. Like that's in the book. Um, his tail gets shot off, Yeah. but, um, in the movie it becomes a necktie, which doesn't happen in the book. It's like this, like symbol of like, I'm like, I'm after you, like, I'm going to dominate you. I'm wearing your tail as a, as a necktie yeah. kind of thing. That's, it's like this added thing. thing. That's one of the hardest things that you can do, man. Take a yeah. man's tail and then wear it as a necktie. Like, yeah. That's it's a bold move. That's some that's your that's some war words right there. Oh yeah, for sure. And they it, it was. <laughs> yeah. Uh but yeah, the uh I think Wes even said um in that interview, he said, well, like the interviewer said, 
or Wes said, one of them said, you know, we doll shot his tail off and we made it into a necktie. And Wes mm-hmm. said that he said, that's basically like a good summary of how we adapted the book. <laughs> yeah. That's nice. So I thought that was funny. Like, yeah. But yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, Wes just kind of says as to like why he chose this, it's kind of like a typical Wes answer. It's like, well, I liked it. You know, I liked the animals. I liked the book. I've always loved the book. The animals are awesome. And the best part is like, he just loves the digging. Yeah. <laughs> like that's one of the main movie reasons he made the movie is because he liked the digging and he wanted to make the digging happen on screen. <laughs> isn't, I mean, isn't that awesome? Yeah. What a way to, what a way to pursue a film being made. I like it. And I thought digging is cool. Yeah. Digging is cool. Let's put it on in a movie. That's all you need. Yeah. And that's like, like, I can't get, you know, Adrian Brody in real life to dig a hole. So we're just going to use puppets and have a puppet dig in a perfectly straight line. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And we'll get George Clooney to, to voice the, the main digger, you know, because why not? He's 14. Yeah. Maybe he wanted George Clooney to be like a live action, Mr. Fox. And dig, but Clooney was like, I'll do it if it's animated because I'm not going to dig. Yeah. So he was like, I'm not getting on my hands and knees. Not really, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. He liked the digging and so he made the movie. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's animated. Stop motion animation. His first yeah. endeavor into that world, which. um. You know, when when this was coming out, there was kind of like a um, this kind of like self-assured uh, thing that was going on in like in the critics world of like, of course, Wes is doing an animation like we all knew he eventually would do animation. Um, and I guess like there's a degree to where Wes sort of owns it like that gets brought up in an interview and Wes sort of owns it. And he's kind of like. Well, you know, I I was hearing that too, and um, basically he he kind of says, yeah, it's because you know I have this reputation reputation for being very controlling, and uh, you know, and he also kind of was saying, it's it's sort of probably because my characters are very much caricatured, yeah, like they have exaggerated qualities kind of like cartoons do kind of like animated movies do. And so he was like, yeah, it's, it's a valid thing. He kind of like owns it and says, yeah, that's valid that people would say that, which I appreciated. He wasn't like, they didn't know. (laughs) Yeah. His films are most often uh, compared to dollhouses, you know? Right. Yeah. He's he's got a dollhouse effect and how he builds his sets and how he, um, writes his dialogue even and places his characters in a frame. Uh, so mm-hmm. why not take your dollhouse style of cinematography and do it with dolls? Yeah. That's do what it with does. dolls and tunnels. Yep. Dolls and tunnels. What, what yeah. else does the man need in the 21st century? Not much. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. He, he got to make this movie. He, so it's interesting. He's coming off of, uh, Darjeeling, 
which really wasn't that big of a movie. You know, after Royal Tenenbaums, he, you know, he made Zisu, which kind of bombed, uh, especially based on its budget. And then he he made Darjeeling, which wasn't terribly well received. It's uh, when you look at it today, it doesn't look like it has like terrible ratings or whatever, but it wasn't well received really at the time from what I could tell. And then he gets, uh, yeah, Mr. Fox, I think, was kind of like got him back on the on the uptick as far as like his reception goes. Um, it was yeah. actually his, it's actually his second largest budget behind Zisu. Really? Yeah. He, uh, I, th- I think it was like 40 million that he, yeah. that he spent that, well, that was his budget for this movie, which, you know, you never, it's, it's kind of unclear what all that entails. Like, does that include the marketing or no, or, yeah, you know, it's, it's hard to Especially put a finger on exactly what that is, but yeah. So yeah, he, and it didn't make a whole lot. It made 46 and a half, I think, on box office worldwide. Yeah, that's a which, flop in today's world. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's better than Zisu, which had like a $50 million budget and only made like 20 something or 30 something. So crazy. at oh. least he made money on this one. It's so crazy how they do this. He says yeah. in, his, um, in his commentary, um, uh, he proposes the idea of making a sequel um, that would show their lives in the sewers at the end of the film. Yeah. Uh, but he says, I don't think there's any studio uh, on the earth that would want to go for a sequel to a film that barely made profit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, if he did release a sequel today, uh, I don't know. I I think it would do okay. Because it this seems like a movie that got more like better reception, I guess later on, like it didn't necessarily make a lot box office wise, but I think it's really caught on in just the general public as far as how well it's received a lot. A lot of people have seen it now. I think now that it's maybe not, they didn't see it in theaters, but they've watched it since. And uh, especially with, you know, after this movie, he started getting an uptick in, his reception in general with, with the public and with Moonrise Kingdom and especially with Grand Budapest, which was his huge movie that got a lot of attention. I think people started going back to stuff like Mr. Fox and uh, you know, I think it's, I think it is more well-received now than maybe it was then. So it might get a good sequel reception. I don't know. Yeah. But I was wondering about that earlier, just thinking, like, would Wes ever make a sequel to one of his movies? And it's interesting to hear that that he said that he had, like, ideas for one. I don't yeah. think he ever did, personally. Uh, I, I don't either. They just need to stay the way they are. Yeah, I like snipping into the world, and then I like pulling out of it and jumping into another world with another one in this film. Right. I feel the same way. I I wouldn't want him to make a Mr. Fox sequel, but if one was coming out, I would be excited about it because it's, it's Wes, you know, it could be like um, casting Mr. Fox and then like mediocre Mr. Fox. Yeah. Maybe, it's... maybe fantastic. Mr. Ash, maybe Ash is grown up now. Ooh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Ash and Christopherson. Yeah. In 20 years, 25 yeah, years. They're, they're like, uh, it could be like, I don't know, maybe, 
like Ocean's Eleven, they could kind of maybe like Ash is like the the Clooney now. Yeah. And Ocean's Eleven. And so now like he's he is kind of it it'd kind of be meta in that way. You know, Ash would be the Clooney now, grown up. Clooney was his dad before. Yeah. And now they're they're getting together a band of stop motion animals to you know do the biggest job of their lives there we go yeah yeah recruiting he recruits the um you know he finally goes back and makes amends with the uh, beaver that mm-hmm. bullied put mud on his face yeah yeah he has Ooh. to he has to recruit him into the seven samurai style recruit into all. the gang yeah yeah i would watch it yeah i mean i you know if this gets around to us somehow passes around and you know bring us on bring me and hayden on we'll we'll talk through this the script with you you know you know we'd be also, happy to you this 30 second clip i just want you to know that fantastic mr fox is my favorite movie um and i want to work <laughs> on fantastic mr ash so give me a call <laughs> my number is listed in the, in the ash is 11 that's what it would be i think yeah i'd love it let's do it <laughs> It's like it's like your hey mom moment. Yes. Hey yeah. Wes. Hey. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, so man, it's uh it's super interesting, you know, Wes Wes really like dove into this as far as adapting it. He went to the dollhouse in English. It's it's the doll like roll doll house, not the doll house, not the doll house, D O L L D A H L house. Yes. Uh, the gypsy house, right? The gypsy house. Yep. That's what it's called. Uh, I don't know why, but that's what it's called. And it's, in, uh, it's somewhere in England, right? Uh, huh. yeah. Western England. Yeah. Roll doll is, is English. And so whenever I was in Europe, his books were absolutely everywhere. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, people love them. And it was really sweet. His wife, uh, I don't know how to say her name, actually. Lissy. Uh, it's like L-I-C-C-Y. I was, I assume it's like Lissy. Yeah. Uh, right. But Litchy, Lissy, I don't know. <laughs> Litchy. Uh, they're not Italian, so yeah, I don't think it's the two C's make a C-H. But anyways, it was really sweet. She was saying, like... She actually invited what like Wes reached out to the the doll foundation or whatever and her and talked to her and was talking about wanting to adapt the movie and wanted to see their, you know, property and where doll worked. And she invited him and he came to England, went to the gypsy house. She gave him a tour. Uh, She took him to the little hut where doll worked. Doll had this little like, hut kind of in their field um in their property and he it was this tiny little cozy place he had a desk with a special chair and a little tray that sat in a special chair and he had a special mug it was very like wes yeah kind of you could see why wes is drawn to this guy because he's like got his precise setup and he would just sit out there and like write and work in that little hut and so wes went she let him in the hut. They had this like, um, what do you call the people that like preserve stuff? I don't know. 
but basically like people that preserve like documents, mm. uh, special historical documents. So they made him like wash his hands twice or whatever before he handled the stuff. Wow. And yeah, he, he stayed overnight at the gypsy house. They let him, they basically said like, Hey, lock the door when you leave the, uh, doll's little hut. Well, that's so and nice. he it's just so... stayed in there for like hours and hours and like poured over his manuscripts. Yeah. Uh, wow. which is really he, cool. He, didn't he take, um, like the grocery store ending? Isn't that taken from the manuscripts? Like Roald Dahl had an alternative ending for it. And I, that sound cool. that rings true. Yeah. Uh, it seems like I might've heard that, but I'm not sure. So I'm not going to say yes for sure. Okay. But that sounds, that sounds right. Yeah. My memory is not working right now. Completely. I mine either. <laughs> Should have wrote it down. Should have. Should have. Yeah. Been. He, he, um, yeah, he poured over the manuscripts and just, he stayed overnight. He walked around. She gave him a tour of the house. When he was there, he actually took, well, him or somebody that was with him. I'm not sure who exactly took the pictures, if it was him or someone in his crew, but they took pictures of like every single object in the gypsy house, chairs, teapots, mugs. Yeah, there, are, there are a number of uh, sets, right? Set pieces yeah. from the film that are like directly taken from it. Yeah. I mean, a, a huge number of the little set pieces like the little set pieces are basically models of objects from the gypsy house yeah it's really cool uh he he mentioned in the commentary that whenever Vargas Blunt and Bean have the conversation on the porch before going in to like rally together to take down Mr. Fox he said that was directly modeled after uh the gypsy house porch so I'm sure him yeah and Noah Bombach had a lot of great conversations where they would later build a miniature mm -hmm. set of yeah, well, the pub, so the little street, uh, like the English street where they come out of the manhole. Yeah. Uh, towards the end, the pub that's like at the end of that street, it looks exactly like the gypsy house. Yeah, what was it, the the fad's head or something? Yeah, like that? something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that this pub name. Uh huh. Yeah, that's the that little pub is modeled after looking like exactly like the gypsy house. Wow. Yeah. So I know whenever so, I watched it for this uh, pod uh, in the background, I don't know if you noticed, there's some graffiti. Yeah. Uh, just a it says cuss. Touch. It says cuss. That's so awesome. It's yeah. like a graffiti cuss behind the old English pub in the middle of yep. Fox's town. Yep. Mm -hmm. it, it, there's a, if you go in the special features for uh, on the Criterion collection disc, uh, there's uh, one of the, one of the, you know, special features is like stills, basically like someone there taking photos. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of the photos are like of the cast and crew and, uh, the sets and the, the little puppets and stuff. Uh, but one of the photos is a clearer, like shot of that wall that says cuss. Wow. Yeah. It's awesome. It's so cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, what so when he was he decided to adapt it, basically he he co wrote this with Noah Baumbach, which uh Noah Noah Baumbach wrote 
what did he write with him? Wasn't Darjeeling? Um, oh, it was Zisu. Yeah, yeah. He uh, he co-wrote Zisu with him already, so he was he's always already familiar with working with with Bombax. So and they were very, um, I believe, at the time uh, while mm -hmm. they were writing, while they were working on Fantastic Mr. Fox, they were also working on the Squid and the Whale. Yeah, Bombax film. So they were kind of yeah bouncing all kinds of ideas around at this time. Yeah, I watched that not too long ago for the first time. Uh, it's one. It's the only thing other than his own movies that Wes has produced. So he yeah. produced that movie. So I was like, oh, I'll watch this since Wes was involved with it. Um, but yeah, I don't. I can't remember if he has writing credit. I don't think he has writing credit on that. Yeah, uh, it doesn't show up as that in Letterboxd anyway. <laughs> but uh. But yeah, so he he wrote this with Baumbach and he he kind of talks about uh I didn't really see much from Baumbach for this one. I he, he wasn't in any interviews or any of the special features, so but yeah. he seems like that kind of guy. He's kind of he doesn't really not really interested in that as far as I can tell. A true but and what, true say that again. True and true writer in the oh, back yeah. just writing all the beautiful dialogue that he Yeah. Movies. All the dry witty dialogue uh yeah so they wrote this together he west kind of talks about how they would basically like they had the bare bones of the story like i said before with from the book and so this is this is west's first adaptation work you know everything everything else he's done before and since really has been uh you know original yeah original screenplays. And so this is the first adaptive work he's done. Uh, looks like he's going to do another doubt, uh, roll doll adaptation, yeah. hopefully coming up soon. Uh, yeah. So, um, but yeah, so far this is his only adapted work in Mr. Fox. And um, yeah, he basically talks about they, that the, the story from doll kind of had, it kind of begs for more. Yeah. He, so they they kind of taught. It kind of seems like the way they added this stuff was just kind of they let it organically build, and so they kind of started with thinking about what might have been happening before, you know, Mister Fox goes into this, you know, stealing spree uh, on the the Bogus Bunsen Bean Farms, and they ended up with the story they got. Oh, you know, they're he has this, you know, wife and they're stealing together. She gets pregnant. He has to be domesticated in a way. And so they, they were just kind of like, well, what would happen then? Oh, maybe, you know, they have a, a preteen son. Oh, maybe like, and so it kind of built. And then eventually they got to where, okay, now it's the book. And so, you know, there's obviously like added stuff here and there. Yeah, well, you need something to spur on events like mm -hmm. this. Uh, yeah. The benefit that you get in children's books is that you, the children will just join whatever story is being told. Mm -hmm. um, whenever you're telling a children's story to adults, you need a bit more of a buy-in. Um, yeah. And I think that that conflict of, well, I'm a family man, I'm getting old, mm -hmm. but my roots are in these thieving trips, these heists that I run. Yeah. Um, and then how do you teleport someone from who, where they were to where they are into 
the old bad habits, mm -hmm. move them just like he does in the film. You move Mr. Fox from a safe place where none of this temptation is even there to another spot where he is trying to find a better place to support and grow his family. Mm -hmm. uh, but it just so happens to be right across the street from the biggest temptation, which is these three farmers. Right. Uh, I think it's amazing how he is able to set up that story with actual stakes, with actual background yeah. um, that we can actually relate to as an audience rather than, you know, not many people have just have the desire to go steal things. Yeah. But getting yeah. to so, see like this really does a number. Yeah. He, he kind of treats that a little differently than Dahl does. Dahl uh, kind of treats it as, well, this is just what comes natural to Mr. Fox. Hmm. And Wes takes that. He's like, yeah, it does. It does come natural. But Wes's Mr. Fox wishes that there was a different way. There's kind of like this conf inner conflict. We'll talk about that more. Yeah. But yeah, I just thought it was interesting the way they kind of, they were just like, that's the way they thought about adapting it. Okay, we have the, the meat of the story, the bare bones of it, and we need to add, you know, some organs <laughs> to it. We need to add a kind of how we got here. And then they kind of add on at the end too. So really like they, they didn't change really much of Dahl's story. They just added to it is, yeah. is basically how they went about adapting it. Just gave it context um, mm -hmm. for why it would be in the situation. Yeah. But then, yeah. So Wes, Wes storyboarded the whole movie and they took the storyboard and made uh, an animatic of it, which, uh, I wasn't super familiar with that, what that was, but basically it's taking a storyboard and animating it and drawings. Very, 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 very simple, like drawn animation. And so they actually took the storyboards and actually made the whole movie with the voices and like an animatic of what it would look like. Wow. And so um, you can actually watch the whole movie in that animatic form on the Criterion disc. Uh, check that out. Just like yeah. a on storyboards bouncing through the yeah, it's not super interesting um, because it's just like pencil sketches, and it's yeah. not like it's not animated like a, a like a actual hand drawn movie. Yeah, um, it's, just... it's kind of like very jumpy, like scene motions. Yeah, uh, because it's just to show them what the shots will look like. Mm -hmm. um, what the that sort of thing, and so they they took that, and then obviously started working on the stop motion work yeah. uh, from the animatic, which makes sense. It, it, it seems like a natural flow um, moving from storyboard to animatic to the, now we know what it's going to look like scene to scene, the sorts of camera movements we need to make uh, that sort of thing. Mm. But yeah. Um, and then, yeah, there's, I mean, there's so much that goes into making a stop motion movie. Once you get to that point, uh, like the puppets, um, are just incredible. Uh, they use like real fur. There's like real, like sewn together clothes. Um, and, uh, it's really interesting too. You can go in the special features or maybe you can find it on YouTube too. This like look up Mr. Fox behind the scenes and you can watch them. They start with like, they make these little like kind of wire, um, figures that have all the little joints 
Like it, they literally like have all the specific joints that you would need it to have to make all the like fine movements it needs to make. Uh, mouth, like I like little things for the eyebrows, yeah. uh, and then they like make a mold and they like put that inside of the mold, um, and then they like stick the fur into it and pop in the eyeballs. It's like it's super incredible. It sounds like the like eyeballs have these little tiny holes in the middle so that they can stick a little thing in there and move it for the eye movements. Wow. Um, I mean, it's just incredible. And it's like, like just, 12 photos a second, right? Is that the... Yeah, so it's 12 photos a second and sometimes 24. So um, some... Um, like slow motion shots or something? Yeah, if they need it, if they need... Um, if there's like more movement action going on, then they do... I think they do like 24... I don't know if it's like doubled up um, photos or what, but uh, that's what one of the animators was saying in, in one of the behind the scenes um, was that sometimes they have to do 24 instead of 12 per second, which wow. is crazy. Yeah. Wow. And like uh, that, that same lady was saying that the, she was working on the post flood little scene in the sewer um, after they've been washed into the, in the, to the sewer and she was saying that scene she was working on is an 18 second shot. And you're taking like 12 to 24 photos for each of those 18 seconds. And it took her like over eight days oh my God. to finish that animating that shot, that 18 second shot. It's really crazy. And uh, I wrote down a few of the, the little stats like that, like the Flint mine dolly shot. Um, which is where they're in the Flint mine. They're starting to like, it kind of goes across. It starts with like the little, little animal playing the piano. You see the kitchen stuff mm -hmm. and uh, it's like Fox and Badger kind of talking through what they're going to do. And it's that dolly shot where it's kind of following them as they're walking that Wes is famous for. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That shot took five weeks to animate. Oh my goodness. <laughs> five whole weeks. I mean, and that, even the last shot, um, so we'll, we can talk about in a second the the different scales of the puppets, but that last shot is the it's using uh, the miniature puppets, um, and it took it, the shot in the grocery store where it's zooming out. That took six days, I think. Is what I wrote down. Six days to animate that shot. Six days of positioning tiny puppets into dance moves. Yeah, and it's not a long shot. It's not like a few minutes or anything. I mean, it's probably less than a minute that shot of them dancing. Yeah. Especially the miniature section. Cause I know they, uh, they kind of scale the puppets down as they get further out. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. So, yeah. The far away. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the other like really cool thing um, that I think. So like with this movie, you, you kind of lose some of the West, like typical West style filmmaking things. Like, there's not a lot of pans in this movie. Like Wes loves pans. Uh, mm. But I think at one point in the interview, he said he had to like, just forget about 75% of the pans he wanted to do uh, just because of the, the dynamics of like the sets. Um, like you make a set and each little set is kind of standalone. So mm. you can't like pan from this background to this background really because they're two separate little animated sets 
Yeah. And even so, though there are sometimes where there are pans, you can see it move mm-hmm. almost from one set to another set. So you imagine how that builds. Yeah. Like I think of um, the dinner scene when Christopherson and Ash are, you know, having another argument or something at the dinner scene and it does one of those hard pans over and you can, mm-hmm. you for a moment, it almost, it almost takes you out of it because you realize that you're, the camera's in the center of the table and as it turns, you mm-hmm. see that Mr. and Mrs. Fox are sitting at a sep- completely separate table because it's so difficult to get that panning effect in something like sure. a stop motion uh, table set. Yeah. Yeah. But he does pull it off in those, in those few times he uses it. So you lose some of the West style, but then you get to add on. Well, I mean, so there's, there is still a lot of typical West stuff. Like there's the, I mean, the dialogue is very much West. Uh, you have like the annotations, um, like the chapter annotations is even though he's, this is his first time adapting a book Mm -hmm. he's made like, you know, I think of the Royal Tenenbaums, you get the little, uh, chapter annotations to start each like new kind of chapter of the movie sort of thing. So that's still West, very West, but then like you get to add on new things. So like, if you think about what would Wes want to do if he was making a stop motion animated movie and you get some of that stuff, like stuff he, he can't do in live action, but probably would if he could. Um, and one of those is the scales. So you have the three different like scales of puppets, which Mm -hmm. is normal for like a stop motion animation. You need different scaled puppets for different like, sets but what Wes does with it is like so the best example there's three main scales so there's the the large scale the what do they call them they have like names for them even there's like large small and mini yeah um and there's actually a fourth scale which is the micro mini which isn't used that often um like i think the tree scene um, with the fox way, way in the distance is a micro mini, and it's just like very bare bones. Like it doesn't even have a ton of detail to it. Yeah, they don't even have fur once they get down to those small levels. Yeah, and so, um, but yeah, the so, but the three main ones they use are the the large, the small, and the micro. Mm-hmm. And so, in that first uh, scene where you have Mister and Missus Fox stealing the chickens, and they're kind of doing the the kind of like parkour across the farm. The you Super see Mario all scene. the what? The Super Mario scene. That's what I oh, yeah. see it as. Yes. The, the platforming like in a Mario uh-huh. game. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, uh, yeah, I've never thought about it like that, but that's, yeah, very much so. That that kind of uh, 2D, one-directional video game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that scene uses all three scales. So when they're kind of like real close up to the camera, you're in the the full scale, the large scale, and then they're a little farther away and they're in the the small scale. And then there's a couple of times where you see the micro ones where they're like way off kind of in the set. And that set is the same. So you're painting across the same set, but Wes will have them like enter and exit into the, just bump my mic. Uh, Wes will have them enter and exit into the like the camera mm-hmm. and the different scales, and that feels like a very West thing to do. He even talks about that in an interview, where he's like, "Yeah, you. It's not. It's not supposed to be unnoticeable that all of a sudden they're re-entering 
after they go behind this thing in a different scale. Mm-hmm. He said, you're supposed to notice it and it's supposed to be fun. Yeah. Um, which sound, which is just like a very West thing. Absolutely. Like, of course he would want you to notice that, Oh, I'm changing the scale of the, after they come out from behind this hay bale, they're in a different scale, <laughs> like to give a different, like distance perspective, but you're supposed mm-hmm. to notice it. And it's supposed to be a fun a fun little gag, you know. One thing I noticed it most in was um, right before when Ash and Christopherson are having their bonding heist moment and they're going mm-hmm. to stick back his tail. Um, when they see the apple fritters, the apple snaps or whatever on the table, yeah. uh, they like run into the room at the small scale. Uh-huh. They disappear behind the plate itself. Yeah. And they climb up on the table next to it. And then they're in the large scale. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Clear that they... They went out of frame intentionally to be able to switch to a different scale to get more detail. Right. Yeah. And, and Wes is like, you're supposed to notice that, like, I guess not supposed to, but he's like, you know, if you notice that great, cause it's fun. Uh, yeah. It's a fun thing to notice. And he's like, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. I'm not trying to be like subtle. <laughs> he's not. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really love that. But yeah. It's just, man, it, you you could really go on and on about just those puppets. Um, it's just really, just so, like, I have a great, if I were to watch a movie and it was just like an absolute trash movie, but it was stop motion, I would still have great respect for the movie, even if it was trash. Uh, it's just so immense. Yeah. I mean, it's it really is incredible. Um, but yeah, the I think the one of the last things as far as like making of, I wanted to touch on was the voice acting. Um, it was super interesting watching. So Wes took, basically he took uh, George Clooney and some of the other actors out to this farmland and they recorded live on the farm. A lot of the, uh, like the voices recording. So they did, they did some studio stuff after that. But a lot of the conversations are like recorded on that farm uh, out and they, it's funny. He had them like doing some of the things that they were doing in the movie. And then like, if they're walking, he would like crouch down and like pat the grass to get like real walking grass sounds. They actually like recorded that and used it in the movie. Wow. Yeah. Just a ton of like cool details like that. But but yeah, Wes talked about it and he talked about how it was he, you know, when he got Clooney to come on, Clooney was like happy to go and do that with him, which was really cool to hear because you think of Clooney as this like big movie star. Like He's not going to go. He just wants to go in the studio and record and be done. But no, he was like happy to. Yeah. Like, and you can tell he's having fun too. Like there's a one point where um, it's Clooney, the guy that plays Kylie. Who, what is Kylie? A, a possum or something? Yeah. Yeah. Possum. And then, uh, who? It's somebody else on the little cart with them. So he has this like little motorcycle with the sidecar. It's not Ash, but it's somebody else. Uh, was it no. Talk? No, maybe it is. It, maybe it, it is Ash. It's yeah. whoever voices Ash. And Ash snuck in while they're like rolling out. Yeah. So it's that scene, but they're all like literally sitting together on, they're like, they're like piled on top of each other on a ATV. They're not like driving the ATV, but they're pretend they're pretending they're driving it. 
Got, so like, they're all sitting up. on that, and like Clooney is bouncing up and down, like <laughs> making so, the ATV shake, and they're like recording. You see the boom mic; they're recording that audio for that <laughs> that voiceover. It's really okay. fun to watch. Oh, yeah. Such an interesting they're, way to do it, and, and yeah, it's so clearly shows like the buy-in that everyone in this film had. Everybody oh, yeah. about the silliness and the fun of it. Uh huh. And it too, like you. You kind of, I think West. Sometimes people have the wrong impression of him as a filmmaker because of the like incredible detail and control he has over a lot of stuff. But he really is like when you watch behind the scenes stuff, he's really having fun, and you can tell that all the none of the actors feel like it's a slog. Like they are all like really excited to be there. Yeah, um, they're happy to work with him. So you you get the feeling that he he does create this atmosphere on set that's kind of brings a lot of camaraderie and uh, just like, yeah, let's get after it. But yeah, just to have Clooney. Oh, the, the there's Clooney. Uh, you see Clooney in the extra features, like eating some toast um, where in the movie he's eating like the pancakes, like that. Oh, yeah. 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 That, that great. <laughs> like, just this movie is hilarious. Yeah. Um, well, that was get, the first scene that they shot, isn't it? Yeah, but he's literally sitting at a table eating toast. Like Clooney is actually like eating toast like that. That's you need awesome. to look. You need to go back on the Criterion disc that. and find it. I haven't seen that clip, but I've seen the ATV one. The ATV one is lovely, but I haven't. Seen oh that. yeah, yeah. You need to find the toast one. Um, okay, I think up. in the movie he's eating pancakes, Mr. Fox, but I'm pretty sure no, it looks like toast. Toast or something of the sort. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's so fun. I mean, Clooney, watching George Clooney like eat toast like Mr. Fox to record the audio, it's great. But yeah. It was interesting. Wes, Wes talked about he didn't do that for the quality of the sound. Like he didn't do that because like, oh, we're outside. So we need to record outside. It wasn't that it was like he wanted. There was two things he wanted. He wanted to not just record voices for the characters, but he wanted to record performances. Mm -hmm. And so he was like, let's go actually do the things we're recording. So we get performances, not just voices. So that was part of it, which is really like, I think thoughtful and. Uh, it shows like that he's really thinking through literally every aspect, like how can I get the most out of this? Um, and then two, he wanted the spontaneity of it, which is again, like something he gets a bad rap for, or not a bad rap, but just like he has a reputation, I think among some people that assume, oh, he's so very controlling, but he actually really embraces kind of spontaneity and unpredictability. Yeah. So there's a scene that they're recording. I can't remember which one it is, but they're, they're recording it like at a lake or something like that. And there was a boat that passed by like, a, and you can hear it in the audio recording, but that was the take that they liked. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they're they? like, well, they're, we're going to animate an airplane flying by. So there's a scene in the movie where there's, there's just this random airplane that flies by. It has nothing to do with anything but they had that boat drive by in the background that had that motor sound. And so they animated an airplane flying by. I wonder if that's the whack bat scene, because there is a plane that flies in the background of the whack bat. Scene. Yeah. 
Yeah, it might be. Uh, I can't remember which one it was, but I just thought that was so cool. Like, and that's part of why he did it. He wanted that kind of unpredictability in the, mm-hmm. in the sound recordings for it. Uh, yeah, I, I love that. And, you know, he talks about, you kind of made a collage. You, you're kind of taking pieces of this recording and this take and this take and kind of making a, a sound collage to put it all together to get the best. Which is really cool. That is. But yeah, there were uh, just a couple more like making of stats before we really move into talking about, man, we're just like, me and you are going to end up talking about this for forever. Yeah. An hour but, in. All right, let's finish up the opening remarks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, there were 120 unique sets, which is just crazy to think that they're building this many sets. And uh, one of the guys that's like one of the, I guess production design guys uh, talks about how Wes was like, he was there with them, like making sure all the props were placed just how he wanted them. And he, he said like, it could take up to 24 hours to like get all the props placed exactly where they wanted them on set. So they're sitting there, like they're using a whole day, like just placing the props exactly right in the little sets, um, which is just cool. And the, the, other really cool thing was the cider cellar. So in the, you know, beans, uh, cellar full of his cider, those, all of those glasses of cider, uh, are illuminating the scene. And so they had to place each of those just right. So the light would come through them just right. And if one was like misplaced a little bit, they would have to go in and adjust it because it would affect the lighting of that, that set and that scene for the, for the shooting. And so like they, they literally had each of those time, those were all like actual tiny little cider jugs. Wow. And they, they all had to be placed exactly just right. That's such Um, an interesting, interesting relit scene. Like too, mm -hmm. it's it's so cool. Yeah. And it, and it comes from just like the preciseness of, of that. uh, Yeah. This, that illumination from the, the cider jars or jugs. Yeah. Really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, we could talk all day about that. Uh, you know, but yeah, let's, I know. So we haven't really, we touched on it back in the Rushmore episode, but we haven't really talked about it, uh, since we started recording, but this is, this is just one of your favorite all time movies, right? Uh, yes, I, I'm, the question, you know, of what is your favorite movie is asked extremely often in mm-hmm. circles like we, circles that we're involved in. Sure. Uh, and for years, I didn't have an answer to it. Uh, you know, I would take, you know, the greatest movies of all time. And there's a list of 50 movies that I enjoyed yeah. the most uh, that, you know, they'd be impossible to rank. Um, but being in ministry and also just being someone who's it's very difficult to make a definitive yes this is my favorite movie of all time um, <laughs> i eventually landed on fantastic mr fox because you know as much as i love goodfellas when a seventh grader comes to me and says pastor hayden what's your favorite movie <laughs> i can't really say goodfellas they're gonna go home and then they're gonna come back the next week and they're gonna be like ever since i was a child i always wanted to be a gangster <laughs> but fantastic mr fox is one that i can recommend to anyone anyone will enjoy it whether they're five years old or 500 years old 
Yeah. Uh, it's a movie that's full of joy, but also it's a movie that challenges the way that we um, like look at dreams and look at what it means to really be alive and look at what it mm -hmm. means to love those around you. Um, so yeah, Fantastic Mr. Fox is my favorite movie of all time. Definitively. 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 Maybe, yeah. you know, Asteroid City will come out and knock it out the park. And I'll be like, well, I'm, I was wrong. <laughs> we can re-edit this podcast, but yeah. Fantastic Mr. Fox has got my number one slot. Yeah. It's, it's funny, you know, everyone that really loves movies and that talks about movies a lot, you know, you'll meet someone and you'll they'll find out you love movies and that is the question like what's your favorite movie and it's just like such a terrible question to be honest so hard to like answer. i don't have a favorite movie i have a lot of movies that i love you know yeah uh but you have you kind of have to say something and so i think yeah mr fox is a good one to it's a nice of, safe one no one's ever yeah. been like did you hear fantastic mr fox is its favorite movie no, yeah. because it's just a fun movie. Like, <laughs> like I have a friend um, that I work camp with, Logan. He may be listening to this. You know, I met him through Jacob. Uh, and he says all the time that his favorite movie is Scooby-Doo, the live-action Scooby-Doo movie. This is a well, guy that's who's interesting. Like 4,000 movies logged on Letterboxd and watches every movie that's ever existed and that ever comes out. Yeah. Uh, but he says that Scooby-Doo's his favorite because it's fun to have that quirky number one that isn't ever what anybody yeah. expects yeah for sure yeah and i don't know you almost like wonder if that's like ironic <laughs> yeah yeah, I, yeah it's probably not maybe i mean he really does love it and if so yeah. you know great but uh but yeah mr fox doesn't sound like ironic yeah. but what yeah what i guess what is a quality of this movie. Like I have some points that I, I want to hit on for just like the themes, but what are some of the, I don't know. What's something about this movie that gives it a quality that you just like, this is my movie. Like, I love this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great question. Eli. Um, I think in different seasons of my life, I've related to different characters of this film. Um, okay. But that's what really does it for me. So when I was young, it took me, it took me years to find that thing I was good at. Like mm. I had a lot of friends who immediately they found out that they were super athletic or immediately found out they were super smart. And I was yeah. always like a bit of a jack of all trades, um, but also a master of none, you know, like, sure. Um, and the first time I watched this, just seeing Ash's frustration in, no, I am athletic and no, mm -hmm. I am smart. And especially in the face of Christofferson, who is just perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, that's man, that's me, you know? And then getting older and dealing with my insecurities and seeing the same issues in my life constantly resurface and never truly being able to put my thorns away. Uh, I was able to relate to Mr. Fox, who's, constantly apologizing for the same sins against his wife and against his family. Yeah. And towards the end of the film, you're almost questioning the sincerity of his apologies because you keep messing up with the same things and apologizing in the same way. But that's what we do throughout our lives. Yeah. We apologize for the same things over and over and over again. Right. I, just, I think that the honesty and the, the, like the layer of, this is a children's movie. 
Mm-hmm. And it really is not. It's it's not a children's movie. It's a yeah. If anything, it's a movie for you know those going through a, a season of life crisis. So specifically, sure. when I went through like my quarter life crisis when I was twenty three and twenty two, and I was like, who even am I? What am I even doing here? Uh, that waterfall scene where Mr. Fox is like, sometimes I'm just afraid that if I'm not just the most fantastic person to ever exist and just knock people out by how amazing I am, I feel like mm-hmm. I'm failing. Right. And I realized that, that was my headspace, that I mm-hmm. just felt like I was failing all the time. It's just so honest. Uh, yeah. It's so real. It's so honest. Uh, yeah. It's just layered in this quirky and fun thing that you can show anyone. Yeah. Yeah. And I would argue like, so I would argue it is a kid's movie, but it's in the, so like, it's a layered kid's movie, you know, it's layered. It's not maybe the best way to put it is it's not just a kid's movie. Yes. That's, Um, that's a better way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not simply a kid's movie. There's some movies that you watch and you're like, yeah, this is for kids. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not like a movie that is a kid's movie but it's like a kid's movie asterisk with a couple of adult themes. Right. Or it with like a, jokes that only adults will get. It's not yeah. that sort of movie yeah. for sure. It's, it's uh, the layered aspect is probably the best way that I could put it. It, it has layer like, so, you know, I, I really thought it was really cool. What you were saying about you relate to it in different ways in different parts of your life. So, you know, you, you relate to Ash when you're kind of in your preteen in that transition, not really knowing who you are, not really knowing how you fit in, uh, not really knowing, you know, what makes me, me, what am I good at? And then, you know, when you start moving into adulthood, you know, you kind of can relate to Mr. Fox more and the things he's dealing with. Um, and then, you know, for me, as a father of two young children, you know, you, you even add on another layer of like, what am, who am I as a father? Uh, how do I relate to my wife and my children? And what does that look like for me now? What is that? What will, you know, what road does that take me down? Um, you know, you kind of do, you know, you have the the pregnancy announcement and the in the trap and he kind of gives that fake smile. Uh, that's great. You know, Hey, and you know, you kind of, you know, you feel all the things when, when you find out you're going to have a child, you kind of feel all the things you feel excitement, you feel, uh, nervous, you feel, you know, am I doing this? Is this going to you? It's, I'm just realizing this as I'm talking, you do feel, like, is this going to trap me? Yeah. Am I trapped by this new situation that I'm, that I'm in? Like is having a kid and a domestic, you know, family life going to trap me? Am I ever going to be able to be who I'm supposed to be? Uh, and so, yeah, it's those layers you add on the layers and layers. And every time you watch it, you can see more um, of those layers. And it's so incredible that, a guy like Wes and Noah Baumbach were able to write such a layered movie. I mean, it, it makes sense, but at the same time, you're like, man, how could they have written this? Um, you know, 
on the Criterion disc, one of my favorite things on the disc is they have these two kids review the movie. Uh, and uh, have you watched that? I'm not. No. Oh, it's hilarious. Uh, I can't remember what it's called on the, like in the little special features thing, but uh, yeah, there's these two, there's these two They're They look like they're probably like maybe 11, give or take uh, maybe a little younger. I'm not sure, but uh, it's hilarious They They talk about some of the things that they think are interesting and that they like, were moved by, you know, in a, in a kind of kid way yeah. or that they, you know, they were interested in the stealing. Like, why is he stealing? Uh, that's something that they were interested in. What's making him steal. Yeah. They were wrestling with the question of, well, if he's stealing to provide for his family, maybe that's okay. It was just like, it's funny. Like, it's funny. but they're, they're, they're digging into this movie as kids. Uh, but in a very like kid way, hmm. it's not like they're watching it and they're like, Oh, this is just fun. And there's nothing more to it. Like they actually are thinking about like, what does it mean? What, what yeah. can I learn from this? Uh, but then like, like you said, like as you move into different phases of your life, I think there's something for you there. Hmm. Um, which is really incredible. Um, it's just, it's a very, nuanced movie uh as far as like speaking to life and what life is while at the same time being this like chaotic comedic ride of a movie yeah. like you literally never know what's around the corner it's in so this movie yeah uh, it's it's one scene he's in a attorney's office buying a <laughs> treehouse and Having a having a cuss fight, having a cuss <laughs> fight at each other. And then the next scene, you're oh. watching interact with this kid, and your heart just is kind of breaking because Ash feels so unseen by his dad. Yeah, and your heart is like, man, whenever, as you who have a have two kids, and as I who will have a kid, you know, in the coming years, mm -hmm. it's just like I hope my son never thinks that. Right. I hope my son is never feeling like he needs to beg for my attention because I want to give him my attention so freely. Right. I hope he yeah. feels enough, you know, I hope he feels loved the way he is. And Felicity Fox does a great job at under, like speaking to him in a way. I'm like, I, I know what it feels like to not be able to say what you feel like. Right. Uh, it's, it's convicting, you know? Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think, um, you know, I think what he does really like at the end of the day here is he takes a children's story, this rolled doll book that really is just kind of like an adventure. Um, there's like, I mean, I guess there's themes to it. Like, don't be greedy. Yeah. It's kind of what it can boil down to from the book. Um, but uh, really, like, it's pretty bare bones as far as like what themes is exploring. It's yeah. just like a cool, fun, adventurous story. Um, but what, and so like, and you know, it's a kid's story. It's a kid's movie. It's going to have a happy ending. You just kind of know that. Um, kids' stories have happy endings and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. There, It's a great thing that kids' stories have happy yeah. endings. Love a good happy. And so since there's not that like conflict of how is this going to end, 
um, Wes moves the conflict to an inner conflict. And so that's where the, that's where like the conflict and the wondering how it's going to end comes is like, what is going to happen with Mr. Fox? Like, is he going to change? Is he going to like do the right thing? Like, is he going to figure out who he is? Um, and he asked so, yeah. the question of where the greed comes from. Mm-hmm. As the book just gives us, uh, you know, greedy Fox because he's greedy. And then Wes. Yeah. Creates- well, the, the farmers are like more the figures of greed, I think in the book. Ah, yes. Yeah. And then the, Mr. Fox is just like stealing from the rich kind of thing. Yeah. Well, it's like, um, yeah, in a sense, uh, but in the book, he's just, he's a Fox. So that's what he does. There's not really much more to it. I got you. And then, but then Wes is like, the point still stands that Wes is able to take that. Well, he's just a Fox. It's just what Fox is. We're wild animals. Yeah. And tries to put him into this box of society, of human society where they're, you know, doing taxes and reading the news. Like he's a newspaper yes. columnist. That's Mr. Fox's <laughs> job. He yeah. writes a column in the newspaper. How far away from uh, a Fox's nature can you get than to write a column in the newspaper and be concerned on whether people read it? Uh, but he's able to give that contrast in, you know, removing the Fox from its natural habitat from so far where the Fox is coming to terms with their nature and we're coming to terms with our dreams in a parallel. Mm-hmm. Watch this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cool. I, I think of something else that really stands out just about, it's something that uh, Wes is really good at. And I think, um, I think in his next movie, which we'll talk about next week, it, I think is his best movie as far as this goes, but just, having a bunch of characters, like an ensemble of characters mm-hmm. that are all feel fully formed. Yeah. Uh, like you, f- you feel like, you know what Badger's all about, even though you don't see a whole lot of them yeah. and you feel like, you know, you know, you, you just feel like, you know, these characters. Um, and I think part of that is just, I think from the very beginning, like from bottle rocket on something that has, made West movies unique is uh, maybe even more, I mean, not more so, but just as much so as like his style uh, and like design is just his care for people for like individuals. Like he has a deep care and empathy, I think for just people. Uh, I don't, I don't know if there's a better way to put that. Like I see you and I see who you are. Yeah. That sort of thing. So, you know, you have the Mr. Fox scene where he says, you know, I see all of you and you're all uh, fantastic in your own ways, you know, and that's I think that's a message that speaks to kids. But there's that other layer of it for adults, too. Um, And, you know, it's funny. um, Jason Schwartzman in one of the interviews in in a special feature was just saying, like, to him, the movie a big thing that the movie about is just showing you that there's something fantastic about everyone, um, which yeah. is like a very like kid theme, but, yeah. but the, just like the layers we've been talking about, make it very um, like prescient and I guess like applicable to us as adults too. Uh, you know, 
you might not feel like it in whatever like weird transition or weird place in life you are, but there is still like something fantastic about you. And maybe it's that you're a demolition expert and no one knew it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, which is just another, like you, it's just that joke is another example of like, you just never know what's going to happen. You never know what the next person is going to say or what yeah. turn it's going to take. Um, like, I think that Mr. Fox, the way he eats the pancakes is another example of that. Just like the comedy of like, you know, they're having this very domestic conversation and the way they're like respectfully talking to each other. She like brings him his plate of pancakes and then it's just like, like wild animal yeah. eating time. And like, you would never see that coming. Like the first time you watch that, like you're going to laugh out loud because it's hilarious and you yeah. never see it coming. And there's oh, the and movie break, is packed with stuff like that. Yeah, And breaking up the, uh, you know, you don't need to buy this land. It's in a poor area of town. It's in bad real estate. And yeah. Having this conversation <laughs> in the lawyer's office. And yeah. They, they and he, goes, he has a real estate agent. Yeah. <laughs> it's Wes. Wes voices the real estate agent. Oh yeah, with the with the pink sweater on. Yeah. Like, on house. yeah, yeah. When he started talking, this when I watched it this time, I was like, "That's Wes," because yeah. I've been taking in so much Wes content doing this podcast. Like yeah. the minute he started speaking, I was like, "That's Wes." He voiced that character. There's a lot of really cool cameos uh, that he yeah. his brother does. Christofferson. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. Said that's awesome. Yeah, which he's done some little side roles here and there, but Christofferson's the first time he's like been a kind of major supporting role. Yeah. Well, like you know, they do the the pan shot that you mentioned earlier, whenever they're like, getting ready for like the Thanksgiving dinner, if you will. Yeah. Um, the bunny rabbit that's cooking, that's cutting the carrots, or whatever. That's like preparing the chef. Uh huh. It's like a five star chef. I don't know his name or anything. But oh, okay. The voice that's provided the two or three lines, whatever that are there, is from an actual five star chef that Wes knew personally. That in the commentary he says was one of the most famous people on the cast. That's hilarious. Uh, different reasons than obviously being an actor. Right. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. There's so much stuff like that that just makes this a joy to watch. Um, mm -hmm. But then you just, man, that's just West movies. Like, man, I'm having so much fun watching this, but man, does it get emotional? <laughs> yeah. Like there's, there's three, like, especially touching scenes for me. Uh, like we've talked about at least one of them already. Um the uh like the first one is when miss mrs fox they're in the mineral deposit like she takes him aside and she like smacks him yeah uh and she's like why are you doing this to us um and man it's it's just like uh it gets i don't know why that scene gets to me but it does because i guess it's just like the kind of guilt and shame you you kind of carry when you have a family of like am i am i heart like is just the way I am like harmful to my family. Like do the choices I make and the mistakes I, like you said, like kind of fall back into, am I like destroying my family? And, you know, it's something when you, when you do have some, someone that, that that's that close to you, like a wife, like your wife, your spouse, um, you know, that can say something like that to you. Uh, you know, that's a special thing. Um, it's not, it can be harmful if you take it the wrong way, but it is a special thing to have someone that can say that to you. 
Yeah. So I, I don't know. That scene's really touching to me. It's super tough. Like the waterfall scene is just so good. Like, um, yeah, that's probably the reason that I love this movie. And it's beautiful. Did you, did you, did they, did you see in the commentary or any, anything you watched on how they made the waterfall look the way it did? Yeah. Yeah. Go into that. With the saran wrap. Uh huh. Dude, that's yep. just, that's so cool. Like all of the water effects were saran wrap. Like that's complete. Yeah. From the yeah different sorts of plastic but, and they just shift them around. This yeah. And the smoke is all cotton. Yeah. They just kind of shift the cotton around to so, make the smoke. Um, and the fire is actually like pieces of soap. Yeah. Yeah. Pieces like, like a translucent waxy soap that's so um, cool. that they've made. And they, to make them animate to like look like they're flickering, they literally like will just take a couple of them out and put different sized ones in mm. for the next shot. It makes it look like it's flickering. But yeah. But that waterfall. But yeah, the, and the waterfall is beautiful. It's like literally just like plastic moving around, but the way it's shot is just so the way the light is coming up through the grates, like the, um, yeah, the way they're illuminated, uh, and the way like they're that he like silhouettes them against the waterfall. Yeah. I mean, it's beautiful. And then it's a, it's a beautiful moment of, you know, you just, that, west moment of like acceptance yeah um like you are who you are i am who i am and i see you and i accept you for who you are um you know that you you kind of get a lot of those moments in west films and it's it's a beautiful moment you know in a beautiful set um yeah i love that moment and then the other one the other one that like i think especially on this viewing that made me kind of like tear up a little bit is his moment with Ash, you know, where he's like going through the birth story and Ash was like, yeah, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. You didn't know if I was a boy or girl. Yeah. You were like wondering what would happen. And then, um, you know, Mr. Fox like says something that he's obviously never said to Ash before. And he's like, Ash, I'm so glad that he was you like talking about their unborn child. Like yeah. that's man, that gets to me. Like I'm getting like emotional just talking about it. Um, yeah. But just like being a, a father, like, and you know, you'll, this is just that other layer that you'll get when, you know, you become a father or like, if you're listening and you become a mother, you know, that added layer of just like knowing that feeling with your child. Like I know I've let you down it's not your fault. It's my fault. I made the mistake. And, you know, it has nothing to do with you and who you are. Like, I'm glad you are who you are like that. If there's anything you want as a parent, like that's what you want your kid to know that you are, you love them for who they are, not for anything else, but just who they are as a person. Um, and from that moment on the trajectory in the relationship between Ash and, and Mr. Fox changes completely. Yeah, wow. for sure. It's there's it's like it's almost like once that scene is done, we can just like take a deep breath and be like, they finally yeah. said it. He finally yes. said that Ash needed to hear the whole film, and now they can do all of this stuff together, and Ash can believe in himself. And, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, but this is. I don't know. There's a lot of other things we can talk about. We can talk about the lightning strike paintings that 
Mrs. Fox paints. Yeah. Like what's the lightning strike all about? I almost yeah. wonder if it's like her way of, cause there, she paints these like beautiful scenes, like these nature scenes, but all of them have like a strike of lightning in it. Yeah. Uh, and it's almost like this, her way of saying like, I'm domesticated, but there's still something wild about me. Yeah. Like that's how it comes out for her. Like she has a, she has like a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A, I guess, um, healthy medium for her wildness, yeah. <laughs> like painting lightning strikes. And it's really clear that she's, you know, like whenever they keep talking, whenever the rat talks about, yeah. Uh, she was sleazy or whatever. And yeah. Like stop the fight for Mr. Fox to. Which Willem Dafoe is great. Oh, he's so good. And he. Stop. If turn and say like, like, you know, we've all lived different lives and we've all done things, but it's okay. Like it's clear that she's got some kind of wild past. About yeah. her that's she's forcing to domesticate better than Mr. Fox is. And she mm -hmm. has outlet for where it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. But. Yeah, Willem Dafoe is great for that rat man. It's, and you even you can even see him in the studio and some behind the scenes. He's like actually like doing the movements the that the rat does while he's recording it. Look to it with the switchblade and the snap. Yeah. It's <laughs> almost like West Side Story esque kind of like uh dancing. Like A West Side Anderson. To a yeah. West, yeah. West Anderson side story. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, the yeah, the mom paintings. I think that I think there might be something going on there with that. Like that's her medium for her wildness. Uh, like she has found a healthy medium where Mr. Fox hasn't yet. Sort or of thing. Another um, angle just to propose the conversation that uh, she feels that her life is reaching a level of serenity, but there's just one thing that's not. Maybe. Yeah. 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 That Fox, she knows that Fox is still got that desire to go and do things that are destructive to their family. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. A lot of angles. Maybe. Yeah. Actually at the end, she, um, I don't know if you noticed, uh, the, she's painting a little painting at the end when it's kind of like they're, they've kind of accepted their place in the sewer. Mm -hmm. Um, but this one has a tornado instead of a lightning strike. That. I wonder yeah. what that means. I, I don't know. She is definitely represents like a transition. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know. I don't necessarily know from what to what, you know. Yeah, like I feel like so, a lightning strike is a very pointed source of natural destruction. Meanwhile, a tornado is more of a confusing conglomeration of issues. I wonder if that's there or who knows. No idea, Wes. If you're again, if you're listening, if you've made it through the ninety minutes of this podcast already, <laughs> still listen to us talk about your movie and probably get everything wrong. Uh, just let us know why yeah. is it tornado. We would love to know. We would love to know why. I don't really have a theory of what yeah. the change there yeah. means, but uh, but it 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 did like strike me as interesting. Yeah. Um. Yeah. An another thing that I noticed this time, not that I noticed, but just like that being so steeped in Wes Anderson stuff, uh, you have the uh, like the Mister mm. Fox. Uh, I think I did that really well. So if you're listening and you think you think I inserted the audio on my soundboard for that, no, that was me. So if you were impressed with that, that was for sure me. If you were not impressed with that, then I did it. Uh, Hayden did it. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, he so he, you know, Kylie is like, what's what's up with that? Like, and he's just like, oh, that's my trademark. And it just struck me as a very like West thing, like someone like a critic asking Wes, like, hey, why did you do this? And he's just like, I don't know. This is something I do. I like it. <laughs> well, there's some light on it in the commentary. Okay. Uh, actually credits it to uh, Donald Sutherland in MASH. Okay. He said that in MASH, he had, you know, my dad watched MASH when I was growing up, but I've right. been like truly myself. But in MASH, apparently, like as he was leaving sets and things, like whenever he was going to his post, he always had this little like whistle thing that he did. Yeah. Was, I just thought it was cool. So. Right. Wrapped it in there. Right. Yeah. And, but, uh, yeah. And that fit, it does fit for that character probably for oh, Mr. Yeah. Fox's character. But yeah, so, but that's just something that like, cause I've watched a lot of Wes interviews through uh, this podcast and, um, you know, that is something that Wes will say all the time. Like, Hey, why did you do this in this way? And he's just like, I don't know that I just thought it was cool. And so I did it that way. Um, w- which is like, kind of how mr fox answers he's like yeah. i don't know it's my trademark <laughs> just what i do you don't have yeah, one later i just do i just i just like it so i do it yeah you know yeah, yeah. and uh tarantino has an interview very similar to that they're like asking quentin why he has so much blood and gore in his films uh-huh. and he just says ah, because blood and gore is fun yeah sure and they're like okay why great. not cool. Good <laughs> quentin. yeah and um, yeah, just another thing, you know, you kind of mentioned the, the Thanksgiving dinner, but mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so uh, something that um, that me and my wife have done at least the past two years. I think we've done it two years in a row. Um, once we do it this year, it'll, I think, officially be we've declared it a tradition. But I think once yeah. we do it three years in a row, it will be officially a tradition. That's like an arbitrary number I've made up just now on the spot. I agree. And we're the only uh, to do it. But yeah, yes. we watch Mr. Fox every Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving, you know, we've we're back home or the family's left or whatever, wherever however Thanksgiving works for that year. Um yeah, it's it's the, it's a Thanksgiving movie. We watch it every Thanksgiving. Uh uh yeah. And I, I think it is very like Thanksgiving, like Wes talks about the coloring for the movie. He was like, we wanted it to be very fall. Mm -hmm. Um, there's in like the vast majority of scenes, he even said there's no, there's like very, very little green and no blue at all. Yeah. It's like all reds and orange and yellows. The only blue is in the, in the, the scene with Bill Murray's character. It's keywords. I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then you got you get like a little bit of blue in uh, the waterfall scene. Oh yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So yeah. those are really like the only places where you get that cooler color. Everything else is like reds, oranges, and yellows. Yeah. Um, which makes it like he was going for the fall aesthetic, and like it's very fall. And then I do think it has those like Thanksgiving themes too. Like it's it's anti greed. Like that's in the book and you, you see that in the movie too. Like these farmers are like so greedy with their things. Like they're just disgusting in the way they make their, uh, you know, their foods for that they eat. Like they consume yeah. their own products in disgusting ways. Yeah. Um, Three chickens a day for four. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. And so like you, you see that element, like it's anti-greed. And then I feel like it's like pro family too. Like, can you be like for you, which I feel like those two things put together is very Thanksgiving, like anti-greed pro family. Yeah. <laughs> like having a clear understanding that like family is, is not never going to be perfect. And that's sort of something yeah. you discover every year at Thanksgiving is right. Oh yeah. I haven't seen, you know, this cousin in a while. And I remember that they're not perfect. And this uncle, this net, whatever. Yeah. But, but yeah. You, all, you all love each other. anyway. Right. You figure out how to make it work. Yeah. Right. I feel like that's very Thanksgiving. Absolutely. So they, you know, he always wants to give a speech about what he's thankful about. Uh, whenever he has the opportunity, whether it's his house or not. Um, yeah. <laughs> even at Badger's Flint Mine, he wants to be the one giving the thank- Thanksgiving speech. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I see you wrote down, you just added in the, in the show notes, uh, the whack bat. Yes. That's one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Because <laughs> it, I don't think there's any themes there that we need to dissect or anything. No, but it's so much sure. fun. Very fun. And did you I, see the extra feature where it, there's like uh, a short clip of like Wes explaining Whackbat? No, I didn't, but I need to yeah. see it. That's that's wonderful. Because in the there's comic, not, is that he doesn't understand the rules. No, he like no, he's just making. You can tell like he's they're kind of sitting around a table, and he's like, there's a few like little pieces of like stuff there, and he's kind of explaining what what they might animate. Yeah. And uh someone's like, Well, what about this? And he's like, Yeah, yeah, uh, we can do that, or maybe <laughs> this. Like he's making it up on the fly. That's awesome. <laughs> there's like there's no real rules to this game. Also, um, I uh in the commentary he talks a little bit about it and I was so fascinated by it because he says that he's he was trying to fit Owen into the movie, but he didn't really have a time and their schedules didn't really link up or anything like that. And they were recording something else for Criterion for like one of the early, one of his earlier films, they were recording a commentary or behind the scenes or something. Yeah. And um, it was him and Owen both on it. And when they like paused recording, he just started like explaining this idea that he had to do like yeah. a coach scene. And he was like, this is some of the lines of dialogue that I thought about it. And Owen was like, sure. Do you have anything written down? And he was like, yeah. So he pulled out the script and, in the same recording that they were doing the comment, the criterion, they were just like, Hey, would you guys mind if we recorded five minutes of dialogue? And they recorded it there. So within 48 hours, he said, he said he wrote down the map for whack bat and the idea mm-hmm. for whack bat and the scene that they would have, um, on a piece of hotel stationery where he was staying. Nice. Uh, so he sent a picture to Owen. It was like, let's record this. They recorded it. And then he sent it to the animation team all in a span of 48 hours. So, it that wasn't awesome. plan. He just had the idea. Owen was like, "Yeah, that sounds awesome." And then they got yeah, it. yeah. So fun. this that stuff in the in the extra features must be like after all that, like yeah. he sent it to the animators, and now like he's sitting in there with them, like trying to like show them. Yeah, that was another thing he said. He said um, it took forty eight hours to conceive and record, and then probably six months to uh, actually animate and film. Yeah, yeah, that's so, great. Yeah, let's um let's like try to wrap this up uh with some final thoughts. Uh I always like to wrap it up with like a final question or theme. Yeah. And uh what I wrote down for this one is um does Mr. Fox change? 
Like, is Mr. Fox a changed Fox at the end of the movie, if you will? A changed Mr. Fox. Like, what makes it fantastic? Is it is it the change he's undergone through the movie or lack thereof? I don't know. I think it's an interesting question. And I think it stems from comparing Mr. Fox with other West characters that are similar. Um, I think you, you have it first, like in Max Fisher and Rushmore, mm-hmm. and then uh, you see it in, in Royal Tenenbaum, um, uh, Gene Hackman's character. And then I think too, some in, uh, in Steve Zissou uh, yeah. from the life aquatic, you have this kind of character that kind of recurs and it's kind of this like charismatic leader, like impresario leader kind of character that is very charismatic. People are drawn to him, um, which Clooney is perfect for with his voice. Um, you you want to root for him, even though like he has these flaws, just like by the way his voice is. But yeah, does I don't know he. I feel like these are all similar characters and I think it's something, an interesting thread through his movies of these characters going through the movie. And like, my question is always, is that character different than they were at the start of the movie? I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think um, it's hard to say that he changes uh, at least in a significant way. Um, because if you told me that six months after the movie was filmed or, you know, one, one Foxy or whatever, after the movie was filmed, um, he went and started stealing again, I would believe you. Yeah. Because I think that, I think he's changed in that he appreciates the family that he has and he Mm -hmm. has come to terms, I think more at the end of the film than at the beginning of the film with the domestic life that he's living. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the conversation, I mean, the scene with the wolf, which, you know, Wes says is the reason why he made the film. Uh, I think that's a moment where you can see, especially in those tears that well up in his eyes, looking at the wolf. Yeah. That uh, he understands that he's a wild animal, mm-hmm. but he understands that this is the life that he has decided to live. Uh, yeah. And you have to live by the commitments that you make. Um, yeah, not just the emotions that you feel or the things that you try to build in your life are going to fall apart. Um, yeah, I think that he comes to terms with that in this film that he has to look at his family and acknowledge that, yeah, you're going to have desires and you're going to have dreams and things like that, but you've got people that are relying on you mm. and they come first. Yeah. Whatever it means for you. Yeah. I almost wonder if his phobia of wolves that he kind of talks about through the movie is like, the fear inside of him that he has that wildness of a wolf Mm. in there. So it's, it's less of like a phobia. I don't know. It's, it's less about, it goes back to that inner conflict. It's less about, Oh, he, he has a phobia of like real wolves. And it's more of like an inner phobia of like who he really is, which I think you see for sure. And that, that is a, a touching moment. It doesn't like hit me as hard as those other ones we talked about. But it's definitely a touching moment, um, you know, for a lot of viewers I've heard talk about that moment as being very like emotional and touching for them. Um, but it definitely is for the character, the Mr. Fox character. Yeah, I think um, that's the moment that he realizes that 
uh, like you're saying, that's that's the internal conflict through the whole movie, that fear of wolves that he has the whole time. It's not really a phobia. It's just a, a, a fear of coming to terms with who you are on your inside. Yeah. Uh, right. And when he sees that wolf, he has to realize, as soon as I get on this motorcycle, which is so absurd, mm-hmm. uh, and drive away, I'm accepting that I'm not, I can't be a wild enemy. All right. This life that I've decided to live, live to my fullest. Other people around me are going to suffer like what has happened in the, the previous hour of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think, um, I think that is a thread that carries through all these like similar characters that he has. Um, that they, they go through the movie and the change, like, so like you'll watch a lot of movies and the change will be like, I don't know this per this character changes so drastically where they almost have like a different personality or a different like defining characteristic by the end of the movie and I feel like the changes that Wes Wes's characters undergo are more subtle and I think part of that comes from like what we talked about like he cares about people like who they are like as individuals and so when he I feel like when Wes it may maybe it's not something he like actively thinks about, but just kind of comes out of how he naturally thinks about people. So when he's thinking about, okay, what does it look like for Mr. Fox to grow as a person? He, he's not so much worried about, am I, how, how can I change them to think completely differently than they did at the beginning of the movie? How can I change them to have a different personality or a different set of values? Um, he he's not thinking about that and you don't really get that out of these characters. They don't have a different set of values necessarily. They don't have uh different like personality. They don't have, I don't see like that sort of change in these characters. It's more of this, like this acceptance, like we've been talking about, like these characters come to terms with who they are, what their situation is. And yeah what they're going to have to do to get by with who they are. Um, like, like Mr. Fox at the end of the movie is still giving like this very sort of self-centered speech about like the, you know, being able to eat at this grocery store, uh, you know, and it's, it's still like, he hasn't changed a whole lot. Um, but his acceptance of his place like where he is, how he's going to, you know, how he can still be who he is, where he is, while also like not neglecting his responsibilities. I think that's where the growth comes. It's, there's almost this like very graceful theme of acceptance. Like I'm going to meet this character. Wes like meets his characters where they are and gives them like that grace, that acceptance of, I see you. I know who you are. Like you don't have to change fundamentally who you are. Maybe you need to change like how you relate to your situation, but you, you know, I, he's, he just like has this incredible grace for his characters that I think is really cool. And you see that in that the, the way that they change is very like subtle. Like Mr. Fox is still very much Mr. Fox at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, but he does. I think the main way, you know, you mentioned the wolf uh, scene, but I think like the main way I saw it was 
you know, she announces that to him that she's pregnant again. And uh, this time they both glow. Yeah. Like in the, in the, that very first scene, like she glows, uh, she's glowing and he sees her glowing. Uh, but in this scene, it's like they're together now. Like he, yeah. there's this acceptance of where they are, who they are as a family. I think you hit um, it on the money when you said earlier, like whenever they're in the cage, when you first find out you're having a kid, you, you sort of fear and lament for the life that you're about to lose, the amount mm -hmm. of freedom you're about to lose. Um, but when he has that conversation with Ash and he's able to physically see the life that he breathes into Ash just with his mm -hmm. Um, he's shifted. He's not a wild animal who now has to care for a child. Now he's a father, and he's yeah. just this excited that she. Now he's a father. That's a wild animal. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's almost like the shifting of priorities. Like exactly. I'm going to shift the priority of my wildness to be under like my role as a father and a husband, sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Shifting the priority. Like he's still the wild animal. Like that's never, there's never a question in the movie of like, is he going to stop being a wild animal? Like yeah. the, I think there's a definitive, like, no, he will always be a wild animal. Uh, but the question is like, can his family accept him for who he is as a wild animal? And can like, he accept like his responsibility to his family? Like, which I think is, I don't know. It's really cool. But yeah, let's um let's wrap up with our ratings. Obviously, I think it's pretty apparent where me and Hayden both stand on this one. Five stars. Five stars. We're in agreement. This actually moved up for me. I've yeah. seen this so I've seen this movie probably this was probably my fifth time watching this movie. Mm -hmm. So I watched it for the first time, you know, years and years ago. Um, and then we started our you know, Thanksgiving watching a couple years ago. So I've watched it at least two or three times on Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. So I think this is my fourth or fifth time watching it. Wow. And I've always had it as a four and a half star movie, uh, really high. And this time just like digging into it more. I was just like, man, I just love this movie so much. It's, it's five stars. It actually moved up to my number three spot as of now and as we're going through. So I have, I still have Grand Budapest at one. We'll see where it goes after we, we do it for the podcast. But um, yeah, Grand Budapest at one. Royal Tenenbaums moved up to number two for me after that viewing. And uh, Mr. Fox with this one jumped to Rushmore, which is saying a lot. Yeah, All four I, of those movies are, are five stars for me. So oh yeah, I think that's um, my current ranking as well. Um, I think, Awesome. Uh, yeah. You know, Mr. Fox is my favorite uh, movie of all time. I still recognize that it isn't the best movie ever made. You know, like it's not <laughs> sure. It's not any of those amazing movies. Yeah. Uh, those are different questions, you know? Yeah. And I think in, in his, in, in the quality of his films, I think that I'm, I'm with you with Budapest, uh, Tenenbaums and then Mr. Fox. Yeah. Yeah. Smart man. Yeah. I learned from the best. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, um, Next week, Moonrise Kingdom. So I'm excited about that. Uh, we'll have a new guest on for that. So we have that to look forward to. It's been, this has been a really fun conversation on Mr. Fox. But uh, now we are going to take a break. So we will see you back after the break with some movie news and our movie draft segment. So see you in a sec. 
Hey everyone, thank you for joining us on the Establishing Shot today. We hope you're enjoying the episode so far, and we hope you'll stick around for the segments we have coming up after this quick break. But uh, during this break, I wanted to tell you how you can get more involved with the Establishing Shot podcast. There are several ways you can do this. The main way you can do it is by going to establishingshotpod.com, our website where you can find all sorts of information like uh, episodes with the show notes on there, uh, information about our guests for each episode. You can find uh, reviews there. Uh, and, uh, there's a page where you can actually leave a review on the website. If you want to, you can see all the platforms where the podcast is available, like Apple, Spotify, all the major podcast platforms, and even uh, a link to our YouTube page where you can see a video version of the podcast. So, uh, please go to the website and, uh, the place I want to highlight there is our donate page, uh, which has information about our establishing shot family. This is a way that you can subscribe to the podcast to support all the efforts and uh, the just the stuff that goes into making this podcast good and making it better than it even is now. We have different tiers that you can subscribe to uh, starting at $5. And what this will do is you'll be able to support the podcast, help me make it better. And also at the same time, you'll get early and ad-free episodes. You'll get access to our Discord server where you can join in and just kind of talking about movies with a community that loves uh, film. And so we, we would love to have you in there. Uh, and then the higher up in the tiers you go, the more you get. Uh, even things like uh, chats and video chats that we'll do uh, every once in a while where we get to talk about uh, in more detail stuff that we're talking about on the podcast. So I hope you'll subscribe to that. Uh, choose a tier that fits uh, your budget. And uh, I would love for you to support the podcast in that way. And uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about uh, is where you can find us on social media. Uh, you can find me personally on Twitter at the Eli Price. And you can also follow me on Letterboxd. Letterboxd is kind of like a social media for movie reviews. So you can read my reviews there and you can find me there at just Eli Price, you know, no, no spaces or anything. Uh, so I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd. You can find the podcast on all the uh, social pl platforms as well, such as Twitter at eShotPod, and then on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok at EstablishingShotPod. So make sure to follow us so you don't miss anything. If you have uh, any questions or comments about the episode or about the podcast, you can always email us at EstablishingShotPod at gmail.com. And the very last thing I want to do before you get back into the episode today is just ask you to please go to Spotify and Apple and leave some ratings and reviews. That really helps the visibility of the podcast and gets it in more people's podcast feeds. And so we hope you will do that for us and we would greatly appreciate it. So I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode and I will see you next time on the Establishing Shot podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back from the break. Uh, me and Hayden are still here uh, getting ready to jump into our movie news section. So uh, here we are, you know, seven episodes in. I'm, I still 
I forget every week to see if I can find like a news drop. So I still don't have like the do 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 do. But so I'm still having to do it myself. Yeah. But you know, movie news starting now. But yeah, so uh, that's my terrible attempt at a joke. So if you're out there and you're laughing, you just laughed at a really bad joke. So I don't know how that makes you feel about yourself, but, um, you know, you should feel great about it because bad jokes are funny too. So yeah. Movie news, the flash, that's kind of like the, that's the, I guess, pushing force behind the speed force, if you will, behind, um, this movie news topic, uh, but yeah, The Flash is releasing uh, the weekend that this episode is releasing. And so yeah. I figured we'd talk a little bit about extended cinematic universes. Uh, what what are extended cinematic universes? Not like we're not defining it for people. They know what it is. But like, yeah, why do we have them? And are they good? <laughs> do we like them? I guess that's the questions we're asking. Yeah. But yeah. You know, yeah, I, I do not like extended universes. I don't think. No? I think I okay. Do. I don't think I do anymore. Okay. I think, why is that? I think. Let that me ask you this: Why is that? Because uh, let me preface it with this. Yes. I am notorious in our friend group for like being an MCU hater, even though I don't like. I don't hate everything the MCU puts out. I'm like tired of it. Yeah. But I don't hate it. But but that's kind of like the reputation I have in our friend group is like MCU hater, but you're not in that group. You're, you're still like, you still get excited about the new Marvel movies. If I'm not mistaken, quantum mania was my last straw and okay. I think it pulled me out. I think I'm done. The guardians didn't pull you back in. I don't think so. I don't think okay. so. Um, unfortunately, no, I don't, I was really sad that the raccoon was being abused. Um, but I don't think it was enough to have me buy into the next 30 movies that Marvel is going to make. Uh, I just think that I think these extended cinematic universes, um, there's just a level of diminishing returns that start yeah. to happen. And yeah. the question that I ask every time I watch it is like, are you making a movie because you have a story to tell? Or are you mm-hmm. making a movie to make money? Right. Like you look at something like, uh, you know, like, like Creed. Mm-hmm. Creed was not yeah. a money grab. Creed was a new and unique story that was made. Right. And that you could argue that's a Rocky extended cinematic universe. That's, that's what I'm saying is yeah. it's not, they're not just saying like, well, let's make a seventh Rocky movie because people keep seeing Rocky movies. Right. There's there a degree like, for sure in making Creed where they were I'm for sure like in their mind, they're like, this is a franchise, a successful franchise. You know, we want to make, they did have something unique to say with Creed, I think, especially the original one. Mm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they, there's definitely a, there's definitely something there of like, we can make more money if we do it this way. Yeah. Because um, they could have just made a boxing movie, but they right. made Rocky adjacent boxing movie. Right. I don't blame them for. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I, we're in an IP time where IP is king. Mm-hmm. So go ahead and use it. You know, like, um, like I see you have, listed on the outline like star trek i think that yeah. the star trek reboot with chris pine mm-hmm. one of the best reboots we've ever gotten like 
Yeah, they, there's they, a couple of good ones there. Yeah, yeah they did a fantastic job. Um, but if they had just made another sci-fi movie, it probably wouldn't have done as well. Uh, but yeah. I still think like they they made that film. Like if you compare the the newest Star Trek t- trilogy to the newest Star Wars trilogy, the Star Trek trilogy had heart behind it, and the Star Wars trilogy was to sell toys and make money. And yeah, I just yeah, got a lot more I, actual storytelling. Yeah, you sound like you almost sound like you're you would be with me on the, which I don't think you really have a stance on Last Jedi, but like. That's a reason I liked the Last Jedi because they were it was interesting. But uh, we're not we're not going to get into that because I always get I already get enough flack for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but yeah, on Star Wars, I mean, Star Wars, Disney is made into kind of this extended cinematic universe with the you know, and it's Disney started making it a movie and TV show crossover universe with Marvel and with Star Wars now. And I don't know. I, to me, it's just kind of a, it's a, it's overwhelming for one thing. Like I have to watch all these other things to understand what's happening in this new thing. So there's that element that's just kind of like tiring and overwhelming. And it's just a slog to get through. <laughs> like, like, I have to watch all these other things to watch this new thing. And I guess like there's an audience for it. Like Marvel heads are just always going to love all the Marvel movies because they just love the, the characters and the comics. And so it's like a new thing with that character. And so it's like, they get it. They're going to get excited about it. But I, I just wonder like the general public, like, is the general public going to get tired? Yeah, I think they're Or are they going to just keep watching them? Because I'm at the point where, like, I still watch all the Marvel movies because I feel like part of me feels like I have to because mm-hmm. I'm so far in. I, I, It's probably like an unhealthy, like, borderline yeah. OCD thing of, like, I have to finish a thing. Like, if I, I don't like to start something and not finish it. For stuff like that, like movie universes, like I've watched this many Marvel movies. I've got to watch all of them now. (laughs) Yeah. I just think that I think Marvel movies have taken the place of like the family film and that's the market that they're bleeding off of now. Like if you're going to take your kids to go see a movie and they're not showing any other kids movies around, like besides like, I think super Mario bros is the first movie that was a truly like a family movie that wasn't, a Marvel film. Yeah. Up in, and it did good, man. It hit the billion mark. Yeah. Oh, it was great. I really yeah. enjoyed it. It was a Falcon movie made for seven year olds and we haven't had any of those in a really long time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we just, yeah, like, I mean, four year olds, my son, you know, my son gave his review on episode one. Yeah. On his letterbox <laughs> account. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, I don't know. It's, it's just weird. I think, I mean, you think about, so like thinking back in the day, you had like the Universal Monster movies Mm. and that was kind of, you, I guess you could almost think of that as like this extended cinematic universe because there were crossovers sometimes with those movies, Yeah, but it just, what I don't know, it was 
it was different back then for one for one you didn't have to see all the other movies to understand what was happening in the new monster movie um even though there were like sometimes you know overlapping monsters like you didn't necessarily have to watch the other ones yeah. i feel like it's sort of similar with like the kong godzilla stuff happening right now like you could probably go watch whatever new kong godzilla movie comes out mm. and just enjoy it for what it is and maybe there's a few things with characters that like you didn't know because you haven't seen the previous ones, but you can still like enjoy it. Yeah. Because see, it's, I love those movies. I have so yeah. much fun with those movies. I think they're bad, but I have so yeah. much fun with them because like when I hopped into Godzilla versus Kong, I didn't need yeah. to know which one of the monsters he fought in Godzilla King of Monsters was the right. toughest to know that monkey versus lizard, let's go, you know, like Right. Yeah, I didn't see the Kong School Island, or yeah, I didn't see that one, but I I saw Kong, Kong versus Godzilla because it's kind of feels like a movie where you just when I hear there's a movie coming out that's King Kong versus Godzilla, I'm like, well, I've got to see it. You've got to yeah, see what happens. No matter what happens in it, it right. doesn't matter what happened before it because it's right. just big monsters beating up big monsters, right? And like you know, from someone who <laughs> just finished saying tell a story like don't make a movie unless you actually have a story to tell they're not really telling a story there but yeah claiming to try to and that's the thing is marvel specifically every movie they come out they're like oh this is going to be the next installation of the epic saga it's continuing yeah and then it just isn't like either and that was my problem that was one of my problems with guardians like the new guardians volume three you know I, um I, you know i know you liked it um, and the other people in our little like movie friend group uh, here in town, they all really liked it. And um, I just felt like it was like, it was like forcing me to feel emotion. Like we know we have been like letting you down as far as like having some emotional stakes. And so like, here you go. Sad puppy eye raccoon. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, but like, no, I get that. Yeah, here's a sad puppy eye raccoon that actually doesn't have any agency in the movie. He's just in a coma and doesn't actually get to decide what he's going to be and do. He just yeah. everyone tells him still what to do. <laughs> I don't know. I just felt like it was like really cheap emotional. Yeah. Um, the, the and, really, I think what I enjoyed most about it is that it was self-contained. Uh, is yeah. It trying to set up the next thing and like yeah, I appreciated that. It was mostly, yeah, that. My description sure. of it what, in my review was that it, it's it's like a, a ham sandwich with Doritos at the end of a day of fishing. Right. Yeah, it's I saw that. not even that good of a meal, but you're so hungry because you haven't had anything that isn't setting up the next thing or trying to be bigger than it is that you're just mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, funny characters and a halfway compelling plot. Yeah, I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and Quantumania just was like... Yeah, I'm gonna watch. I was so tired by the end of that movie of like watching it, and it suck. It sucks because there was some like fun, I guess CGI stuff happening. Like it was definitely like Marvel's uh, Marvel Studios attempt at like Star Wars. Yeah, uh, but like not as interesting to me. Yeah. <laughs>
but yeah, I, I don't know. There's underwhelming plot. And then the DCEU is tired at this point and it, they haven't even really like had any success. Yeah. Um, but the studio is just such a mess. Like that it's, it's already like wearing out its welcome. Yeah. So it, but so it will be interesting to see what happens with, with the flash. Like is the flash going to like revitalize this DC extended universe or, you know, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens with that. You obviously, you know, we talked in our summer movie preview um, movie news section a few episodes ago, just about the kind of like gray cloud and hovering over the movie that is Ezra Miller. Yeah. Um, but like, I was never going to see the flash movie because Ezra Miller was in it anyway, could have been anyone. And I'm going to see it because he's my favorite DC character. And so yeah. I'm going to see the flash movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I guess the question at the end of the day is like, how long can these extended universe movies last? Um, and I'm just not sure. I don't know. I, the pessimistic side of me is just thinks like, this is just part of living in a, you know, materialistic capitalist society and people are just going to keep shelling out money to see these movies. Yeah. Um, the optimistic side of me thinks like, I think maybe people will get tired of them and like the art will shift into yeah. like something else, maybe problematic in a different way, but at least it'll be a new problem, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think it, my, my, you know, half baked opinion is I, I think it's going to end up with a reputation similar to comic books. Uh, we saw when comic books first entered the scene, there was such a big deal, but then you had to read a hundred volumes to catch up to wherever was currently happening that they eventually just isolated themselves and, it was the comic book readers versus the rest of the readers. There was no casual comic book readers. You had to be all yeah. in. And I think we're going to get to that point where there's, it's going to be hard to casually watch MCU movies. Yeah. Uh, because especially like, I mean, like I'm a, like in, I'm in middle school ministry and my sixth graders are students that are born in 2012. Mm -hmm. You know, they were not alive whenever the first Iron Man came out. Right. And they're not going to sit down and watch 30 movies to catch up to what's happening. So yeah. eventually there's just going to be a generational disconnect because they didn't grow up with it and they don't care about it anymore. Yeah. I guess that's, I guess that's the best thing about Gen Z for me is hopefully they will make Marvel, the MCU die. Yeah. <laughs> the chosen generation prophesies the downfall of Marvel. Yeah. And this has been your your this has been your cynical movie news section. Yeah. Uh, just because it's late. <laughs> it's yeah. I don't I don't really have like an an opinion other than there's anytime there's a extended universe movie and just a new interesting movie, I'm always gonna choose the new interesting movie that's yeah. unique or just not a movie where it has to be connected to a million other things. So I don't know, but I will see the flash. 
and this is kind of like my segue into the our movie draft section just like knowing i've seen enough like talk about the movie and like one of the trailers where i know what storyline they're doing they're doing flashpoint so i'm sorry if i spoiled that for people that have been avoiding flash talk and i just ruined it for you just Um, i don't yeah i don't really feel that bad but flashpoint is like my favorite flash storyline um and it it involves some time travel like flash moves so fast he can travel in time um and so physically it, speaking, whatever well, it does you, right. it does trust me it does i, I trust you <laughs> it makes, makes sense. much sense as tenant. yeah but uh <laughs> yeah well uh, that was my segue i i am looking forward to the flash movie i i hope they move on from ezra miller i'll just say that out loud mm-hmm. so that people aren't thinking that i'm one of these like weird studio heads that's like praising ezra miller like maybe he's good at acting or maybe not, but they definitely should move on from him. Uh, just making that known. That's my opinion before people come after me. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, I'm interested to see what they do with it. I, I'm excited about it just because I'm a fan of the character. Um, but yeah, uh, our movie draft section is related to that in the sense of time travel, because, uh, today we are doing a draft of time travel movies. Ooh, very fun. Um, ooh, uh, yeah. So, um, I didn't really put when I sent this to Hayden, I just said time travel movies. I didn't really put like any hard line stipulations on it. I just said time travel movies. So oh, wow. I guess, we, you know, he could have interpreted this however he wanted to, but yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna do it. Um, I will say, Hayden, this is this happens when you come on as a second guest. You don't get the first pick this time just because you're a guest. If you tried to offer it me to me, I would throw it back to you. So you got the first pick last time. Yes. I'm taking the first pick this time. Please take it. But yeah, our movie draft. Um, my go-to explanation if this is your first listen to this segment is this is you know for for foot for sports people this is you know you're drafting the best players and once they're drafted they're off the board um so if you get that reference great if not this is picking your kickball team on in the playground at the (laughs) playground you know you don't want the sucky players first. You want to pick the best players to best be on player. your team and you want your team to win because we're going to put this to a poll, see what the people think. Hayden, I, I think Hayden, I think I like barely squeaked out a win you were trying against you in the last poll, but it was, a, it was close enough where like a couple more hours you could have pulled back ahead. Yeah, but you won with the last Jedi. So that's a feat in itself. That is, that wow. is, um uh yes absolutely so i'm gonna take the first pick this time Please, so go for it i'm gonna come out with the with, i'm coming out of the gate like blazing like a pine cone in whack bat and yes. i am picking back to the future the the I, 
you know, it's probably not, it's not my favorite of all the ones that I wrote down for sure, but it's, it is the definitive time travel movie. And I feel like I have, like, if you have the number one pick, you have to take back to the future. I agree. I think it's, it's just, it's the number one. It's the, it's the, the time travel. movie. It's Maybe a great movie, that, but it's, it's so, it's a great fun movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, where are you going? Number two, pick number two. Pick is it's a tough spot. Um, I'm torn here. Um, so I'm just gonna go for it. I'm gonna take the movie that when I first got into movies, it was one of my favorite movies. Um, it sat up at the number one spot for a good while. Uh, I'm gonna take Interstellar. That was a gut punch. That was a gut to take your Christopher Nolan love. Um, but a movie that uses uh, time travel in probably the most uh, most rational way um, without just assuming the rules <laughs> are the way they are. The, the fact that time travel in Interstellar is not reversible. You can't go back yeah. and sit. Uh, just yeah. and stuff. Man. Hey, yeah. Um, Number two for you. Gosh. I probably would have taken that next. That's I love right. Interstellar. It's... It's so good. Yeah. Man. Matthew McConaughey, he gets me every time. Um, man, I, I don't know where to go next. I have, like, I have a couple of movies that, like, I'll just, I guess I'll go ahead and take, like, the cinephile pick mm-hmm. and go with 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, I rewatched this recently and man, it's just like, it's a masterpiece of a movie. Like it's not for everyone. It's not a movie. I would just like be like, Hey, you need you. Like if you're getting into movies and you want to really get into movies, then like after you've been into movies for a while, then go watch 2001. Uh, but it's not a movie I would recommend to someone who isn't interested in getting really into movies. Cause it's, there's not a whole lot going on yeah. in this movie, but it's visually like just masterful, incredible. Um, but yeah, there's, there's some time travel in it in the sense that you don't know what, where you are in the end of the movie time wise, like something happens. I'm not going to give it away. It's a very trippy scene yeah. and there's definitely some moving into the future sort of thing happening. Uh, but yeah, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Stanley Kubrick's masterpiece. Where are you going? Love it. Number three pick. Uh, this is actually my number two pick. Since you went well, first. the number three overall. Uh, number three overall, excuse me. Um, <laughs> number three overall, number four overall, right? And number two. You're right. My book. Hi. We it's were both high. wrong. It's late. We're both wrong. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna dip into the um dip dip out of the science fiction uh and dip into the soft science fiction dip into the comedy if you will. Let's do it. Groundhog Day. Okay. I thought you were going somewhere else. Oh no. But Groundhog Day is a great pick. I love me some Groundhog Day. You got the uh, Bill Murray uh, relevant to the Wes Anderson series we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Badger himself. It's too bad they didn't make him a, a groundhog. 
in Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah, that would have been a great little callback. Yeah. But I'm uh, at number three. Yeah. Number five overall. It's been a long time since I've seen Groundhog Day. Um, so I probably need to watch it again to really have an opinion on it. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. It's just a great I believe you. So um, we decided on seven movies, right? Seven movies, which is a okay. lot of time travel movies. It is a lot of time travel movies. I've got to fit in. I'm going to get a good uh, array of types of movies. Man, I know where I'm going next. I'm going with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Man, man. I wanted to steal that one late round. Ooh, I love Bill and Ted. It's well, such a it's a hilarious movie. Like I'm assuming you're taking Excellent Adventure and not Bogus Journey or Face Right. The- Excellent Adventure, the original Wonderful. Bill and Ted, is the best one. Uh yeah, it's you know, Keanu Reeves and blanking on the other guy's name as as bill and ted these like goofy kind of idiots (laughs) yeah (laughs) they're they're kind of just like dumb idiots uh that are (laughs) trying to write a history paper and happen upon a time machine because strange things are afoot at the circle k yeah Uh, and uh, so yeah, the boys. Yeah, let's 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 just say their history paper knocks it out of the park. Yeah, phenomenal yeah. presentation. <laughs> uh, yeah, Bill and Ted, great movie. That's that's my third pick, fifth overall. Uh, but yeah, where are you going with the next pick, Hayden? Uh, next pick, I'm going to go back to a little bit of sci-fi. Um, this movie, I. One of it was one of the first movies that really challenged me um, to look deeper into movies than what they are service level. Uh, it's a movie that I think is wholly underrated. Movie that I love, um, and I'm gonna know go with Denis Villeneuve's Arrival. Okay, see, this is the movie that my wife told me did not count no, as time travel. Counts. I agree. I it's agree. It's going back in time to reveal pieces of time travel history and the ability to see other points in time yeah you're literally learning well okay i'm not gonna give away because this is let's try not to make this too spoilery but uh if you've seen arrival go watch it tonight yeah just go watch it we won't say anything else about it because man is it good just aliens in time it's just great and then jerry not hit by a snowplow it's great (laughs) okay where will i go next Cause you've taken two of the ones that are like top of my, like towards the top of my list. Well, so have you, you like, there's not that many. <sighs> okay. Okay. Uh, okay. I am going to go with, uh, Palm Springs. Great. Andy Samberg comedy. It's a, it's kind of like a riff on groundhog day. Yes. And I actually, like I said, I need to rewatch groundhog day to have a good opinion, but, I like this more than I remember liking Groundhog Day. Yeah. Um, I it's, love um, I think it's a Hulu movie. Mm-hmm. So it's probably on Hulu. You can probably go watch it on Hulu, but it's Andy Samberg. Forget the actress. Um, I would have to pull up the Letterboxd or IMDb page to remember. But uh, 
but yeah, it's, it's a really funny movie. Um, and I feel like it has, you know, Groundhog Day is all like Bill Murray. Like it's about his character. And I feel like you get a little bit more like character dynamic with the female and the relationship with this one. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, and it's just, I think it's funnier, but maybe just because it was made by closer to my generation. So like a lot of the jokes are more like for me than Groundhog Day was. Um, but yeah, I, I do believe Groundhog Day still holds up, but I liked Palm Springs a lot. It was a very funny movie. You, you get in that day loop where you're waking up, you, you know, die or whatever, and you wake up and it's the same day over and over. And it's got J.K. Simmons, and anything that has J.K. Simmons just oh yeah, it's to the top of my list in general. Uh, yeah. All right, All right so my number four pick. Um, I'm I'm going to take uh, yet another um, Groundhog Day esque film. I know um, where you're going. Take a completely slept on film um, that I believe is just one of the most fun science fiction films that have come out in the past decade um, and i'm gonna take edge of tomorrow yeah the tom cruise and emily blunt film about an alien invasion um where the nexus brain whatever ends up tied up to tom cruise and he gets to relive the same day over and over again to figure out how to save humanity yeah. uh, great movie a fun time man it's super fun it's a really fun movie and uh, that's so I was struggling to pick this or Palm Springs. I went Palm Springs. I probably should have went this first. It's two sides of the same coin, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. Day I want the comedy route. Yeah. Um, Palm Springs is so, got a level of rewatchability. that's just yeah. wonderful. For sure. I've got two com two straight comedies in a row. So I've got to get some. Uh, some drama. Got to get serious here. Uh, so what am I going to do? That's the question. <sighs> There's a movie I should probably take to pander to the crowd that is just not a favorite of mine like it is for some people. Um, if it's it's, what, I hope it's not the one that I see on my list because I'm in that crowd um, if it is. But just make your pick. You know? um, it's, I don't know. You know what? I'm just throwing the seriousness out the window. I don't think you'll probably take, I don't even, I bet this isn't even on your list, but I don't even care. Cause I love it. It's my favorite Christmas movie. The Muppet Christmas Carol. The Muppet Chris. I didn't even know it was a time travel movie. Well, yeah, you know, he traveled, you know, the, the ghosts of Christmas past. Oh yeah. Ghosts of Christmas present. Ghosts of, ghosts of Christmas yet to come. I didn't even so, know. Yeah, it's he's he's traveling through time, seeing what's happening in the past and the future. Yes. So, what? but but of all the of all the Christmas Carol adaptations, the Muppet Christmas Carol is the best, and I think right up there with a Christmas Story is the best Christmas movie, and I love it. It's hilarious. You have Con Gonzo pretending that um, he is. And he is, you know, in actuality, Charles Dickens um, <laughs> as the narrator. Uh, man, I love Muppet Christmas Carol. And like, you know, 
it's now revealed that it wasn't on your list, but I don't care. I'm taking it. I could have taken it last, but yeah, I love it too much to leave it for last. Yeah, give it a high spot. Yeah. Where are you going next? Uh, for my number five pick, um, I'm going to go Tenet. Okay. Um, Tenet is uh, maybe not the most highly acclaimed movie that Nolan has put out about um, sure. time travel, but I walked out of that theater feeling like I could fly. Um, it was just, a, it's so visually interesting. And even yes. though the temporal time pincer move, whatever at the end makes no sense at all. <laughs> um, it's just one of the coolest action scenes I've ever seen on film. So Tenet is locked in for me. You know, I bet there's a director's cut out there that has, you know, a five minute scene of someone explaining that so that That's it does make sense. That's all we needed. But uh, not that you might have been able to hear it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. this Tenet is actually a movie I didn't hate. I I was positive on it. It's probably my least favorite Nolan movie, but I've only seen it once. And it's one that kind of begs to be seen again. Yeah. And I've wanted to watch it again since I saw it in theaters and I just haven't been able to yet. It's just um, visually so fun. It's it, just... it really is. There's a lot of cool, cool stuff visually going on. Bungie doesn't make any sense, but man, it's cool. Like <laughs> pulling bullets through the wall. I don't even it's just fun. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um man, uh this is tough. Yeah. Uh, so man, yeah, okay. I'm going with this one. Um, I'm a fan of this franchise in general. Um, the, the movies aren't the best in the world, but this movie is probably my favorite of all of them. Uh, and I'm gonna go with Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh, um, yeah, it's you've got a masterful director directing this one, which I think is probably why it's my favorite. Um, but yeah, you, you've got, you know, Hermione with the little time necklace thing. Yeah. Um, going back in time over and over to catch new classes. And then it comes into play at the end, um, which, man, I read the books. I actually read the books through all of them a couple of years ago. I didn't read them as kids. I wrote, read them as an adult and it's, it's a great series of books and I enjoy the movies a good bit too. Um, but this is definitely, I think the, the best just movie wise of all of them uh, and the time travel aspect of it, you know, coming into play is really fun um, and like interesting in the way that, they work weave it into the narrative so i'm gonna go with that and i you know it's one that you know if you're gonna take a harry potter movie you might as well take the best one yeah you know great pick great pick um for number six um i'm going to uh take a film that i watched over and over again when i was a kid um, because it was on FX. Okay. Um, it was an ultimate dad movie. Um, it is a, it is a dirty, grungy, and fast paced movie um, from the creator of 
Top Gun and Man on Fire. I'm going to take Deja Vu. All right. Denzel Washington dad movie about a terrorist attack on a a ferry full of Marines that Denzel has to use crazy technology to go back and figure out how it happened. And I've never met anyone else who is fond of this movie, but it's the (laughs) sixth pick and I, it's so much fun. I remember seeing it. So when did this movie come out? Uh, Let me check. Uh, yeah, 2006. So. 2006. That sounds about right. The peak of wild, fast-paced Tony Scott movies. Yeah, it came out like I was in high school when it came out, uh, and so I remember watching it. Um, I didn't see it in theaters, so it was probably like 2007 before I saw it. But I remember liking it when I was in high school. I don't know what I would think about it now, and I it's don't remember really- anything about it other than Denzel. It's right in between Man on Fire and Unstoppable, the train movie. Okay. It's just a blend of all those things together. And Yeah. Even if the movie sucks, if I were to go back and watch it, I'm like, oh, this sucks, which no offense to you, but Denzel would probably still be great. It's a, well, it's, I, I call those movies Mountain Dew movies, okay? Because I believe that there's good movies, there's bad movies, and then there's Mountain Dew movies. Yeah, okay. So, Mountain Dew, if I've got to list my top five sodas, it's not in my top five. Yeah. Every now and then, a good Mountain Dew hits, you know? All right. I you hear you. Your bros, pop a Mountain Dew. That's this movie, Deja Vu. Hey, if that works for you, that works for you, you know? Um, I don't it's- hate it. I remember liking it when I was in high school, and so I have no opinion on it now, so I can't hate on it. Um, where are we at? One, two, three, four, this five. Is, is this my last pick? I think this is your Good last grief. Pick. Oh, man. Choose wildly. I've got a wild last pick, though, so don't worry. Who? Wild. Should yeah, I go wild with my last pick? I don't know. I mean, I am. Man. I had a list so, of 11 films and all of them except for two are gone, and I don't like one of them, so. Yeah. So I have one that I could go with that I remember enjoying, but I hardly remember anything about the movie other than like the actors that are in it. Um, and I don't know if that's where you're going. Probably not by the sound of it. I hope not. But uh, I don't, I don't think I'm going to go with that one. I'm going to go. So part of the fun of this is people hearing about movies uh, maybe that they've never seen before and, you know, having the chance to go watch it. And so maybe this will turn some people on to some more getting into some more foreign films. I'm going to go with Wong Kar Wai's 2046. So if you're listening to this and oh, yeah, so there you go. That's part of the reason we do this. Mm. I could have went with my other choice, which you've almost certainly heard of. Uh, but instead, I'm giving you something you've never heard of. Wong Kar Wai, uh, Chinese director, Hong Kong um, director, um, probably most well-known for the movie In the Mood for Love. Mm. Um, and 2046 is actually a sort of a sequel to In the Mood for Love. Um, I remember watching it and not realizing until way later into the movie that it was, oh, this is related to In the Mood for Love somehow. 
Um, but uh, Wong Kar Wai is a very like, I wouldn't recommend seeing this movie first of his. Like there's some other ones that you should probably watch. Like, uh, like I think is the one you should see if you're getting into him is uh, Chungking Express. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really good introduction to Wong Kar Wai. But um, In the Mood for Love is a masterpiece movie for me. And um, I love In the Mood for Love. Just it's a visually just incredible movie. Um, 2046, I don't love as much, but it's still a very interesting movie. It's um, the reason it's a time travel movie is because um, he talks about it's very Wong Kar Wai has a very like poetic um, narration sort of thing that he does in his movies. Um, and so you hear like the kind of main character narrating and talking about this train that you, that you can, everyone wants to take this train to 2046 and it, you get on this train and it's kind of like this dreamy reliving of past loves. Um, but also like that you get that he's like remembering or like, you're not really sure if he's remembering it or if it, it really is this like sci-fi, like train where he's going back and experiencing it again. Um, but also like 2046 is the, this idea of this place and time that you can go to. Um, that's like, was impactful for you or like meant something in your like love life or whatever. Um, it's a, it's hard to explain, but cause it's a very visual movie. So it's hard to explain with words. Yeah. But yeah, it's um it's got that time travel kind of it's a stretch I guess on the time travel thing in a similar way that Arrival would be maybe. Um but I'm counting it and hopefully this turns some people on to Wong Kar Wai who is probably just one of the best living directors that we have right now. Yeah. So yeah, 2046. That's my wild off the wall pick that no one's ever heard of that will probably hurt me in the well in the poll. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna i'm gonna counter your wild off the wall pick which nobody's probably ever heard of um, okay very similar wild off the wall pick that perhaps a little bit more people because it is an english film have heard of um, and i'm going to take sam raimi's army of darkness okay yeah heard of this film eli yeah i i'm aware of it i haven't seen it but it, I would like to. It brings me so much joy. I love Sam Raimi. Um, I love The Evil Dead and The Evil Dead 2. Uh, and this film is just phenomenal. It's, it's, he, Bruce Campbell, my boy, is accidentally transported in his car with his chainsaw hand, with his boomstick shotgun to 1300 AD, where he has okay. to battle skeletons. And save princesses. Right. Secure the Necronomicon so that he can get home. <laughs> I love it. Tag- if you've never seen a Sam Raimi film, just so Sam Raimi directed the uh, Multiverse of Madness Doctor Strange movie. Yeah. So more people have probably seen that that are listening than Army of Darkness or one of his other films. So just imagine the strangest, most weird uncomfortable parts of multiverse of madness and just 
take that and expand it over a whole movie. Yeah. And that's a Sam Raimi film. That's Sam Raimi. I love Sam yeah. Raimi. He makes me happy. The tagline for this film says, trapped in time, surrounded by evil, low on gas. Love it. Can you say any more? Yeah. Just wonderful. Yeah. I mean, Evan, if you're listening to this, this pick is for you. My buddy Evan Taylor, I bought him a t-shirt that had the Army of Darkness thing on it. Pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Evan. I don't know Evan, but shout out. Shout out to him. Yeah. That's great. Okay. So I, before I'm going to read off the, our, our picks in a second, but we'll mentions, I don't, you might have some too. Looper was one. Uh, that was the other one I was thinking yeah. about there at the end. Um, uh, JGL and Bruce Willis as older and younger versions of the same character kind of thing going on. Um, it's an interesting movie. I like Ryan Johnson. Um, you know, he makes interesting films. I think they're fun. Um, but I don't remember a whole lot about it, so I didn't pick it. Um, but I do remember enjoying it. Um, yeah, it's a wonderful life is one that I was talking about that I'm not as big a fan of, but I know some people just adore it. Um, but it's definitely got some time travel aspects to it. Um, I've always thought of it as like just a, an extended twilight zone episode. That's kind of what it feels like, but, uh, yeah, yeah. it's a wonderful life looper. Um, and you know, some superhero ones like Watchmen and X-Men days of future past, which is probably one of the better X-Men movies. Um, those are some good honorable mentions, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any that I didn't mention? Uh, a couple of honorable mentions, um, time travel movies that didn't quite make it into my top seven, uh, but were, you know, I watched them recently. Um, Adam Driver 65, uh, the new movie where he gets shot back in time on a colony ship okay. and has to fight dinosaurs. It, you know, it's, it gave me like after earth vibes, but not as bad, you know, but still, hey, right. Yes, yes, giving up. <laughs> Stick his head in. Um, that one was fun. Uh, the Time Machine, H.G. Uh, Wells' film adaptation. He didn't, obviously didn't direct it, uh, but H.G. Wells' The Time right. Machine is such a weird look at time travel. Um, okay. Things like Avengers Endgame. That's a time travel movie, right? It is. They go back in time. He looks at his butt. That's my least favorite aspect of it, but... Yeah, but it happened. And then... Um, mm-hmm. um, I don't remember. Brain just blank. Six. Did you mention sixty-five? Yeah, sixty-five. Yeah. I don't know, but it's fine. Oh, um, the Jake Gyllenhaal one. What's it called? Donnie Darko. Oh. Source Code. The other one. Donnie Darko. Oh, yes. Source Code. Source Code. When they're on like the plane, the train, and he keeps like Groundhog Day in the train, and that one's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Neither of us mentioned Terminator movies. Either. Oh man, I didn't even yeah. think about so. Terminator. I just, it's been so long since I've seen them. I feel like I can't pick them. Yeah. I so, definitely subbed out Judgment Day from one of these. That's a fantastic yeah. movie. It is. So great. people will probably hate us for leaving that off. Yeah. They're going to be like, what's wrong with you? They're going to be like, we were listening. We were thinking 21st century and close. <laughs> Whatever. 
All right, so we, yeah, I'm going to read back our final picks and then we'll end with some recommendation of the week. Yeah, I picked Back to the Future, 2001, A Space Odyssey, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Palm Springs, Muppet Christmas Carol, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, 2046. Those are my picks. Hayden, you had Interstellar, Groundhog Day, Arrival, Edge of Tomorrow, Tenet, Deja Vu, and Army of Darkness. Woo! Love it. All right. Did you prepare a recommendation of the week? I did have one, but it's not here right now. Um, let me find think. it. I'm thinking. I'm digging in my brain for it. I was going to say just watch Succession again, but I said that last <laughs> time I was on, so I, I can't say that. That's again. true. Um, I would say... You can just flip to whatever. Okay, here's... I'll do mine. Okay, you do yours. Because I'm... I'm winging it too because I didn't actually think of something before, but I talked about the criterion collection. Yeah. Um, like the criterion collection, physical copies of these Wes Anderson movies that I've been watching. And, uh, they've just been really insightful and a lot of cool stuff going on in there. Uh, just with the extra features. So if there's a movie you love, my recommendation is go and see if there's a Criterion Collection uh, edition of it and get it. Because there's going to be stuff you've never seen or heard before in that disc in the special features that make it worth owning. So, um, And they're always adding to the collection. So if your favorite movie isn't in the collection now, maybe it will be in the future. But that's my recommendation. They just put out some really cool stuff and actually like some of these posters behind me like i've got a grand puda past one rushmore uh these are these are both from moonrise kingdom those were in the criterion like in the sleeve so that's my recommendation um my recommendation um i guess i will say um just get outside um okay yeah out it's hot we love, I love watching movies. I love being in a room, but there's something about a little bit of vitamin C therapy. So just, I was outside all morning uh, this morning filming a video um, and it just brought joy to my life. So just yeah. get outside. Here's my recommendation. Get outside, get some sun, sweat a little bit. Yeah. Get some, yeah. Just catch some Zeds, I think they call it in Europe. Catch some Zeds. Sure. I don't know what that means, but... <laughs> Yeah, great recommendation. If you're listening to this and you're inside, then go outside right now. Go touch grass. I mean, go out. Right this second. All right, well, I think that's all we have for you this week. Uh, Hayden, go ahead and, I know you've been on before, but go ahead and give your uh, socials where people can connect with you. Yeah. In case this is their first look at Hayden Fob. Yeah, you can find me on um, Instagram or uh, 
Twitter at Hayden Fab. That's H A Y D N F A B R E. Um, just let's, let's communicate. Let's talk. You DM me what you're watching. I'll DM you what I'm watching, and let's just be friends. Yeah. And is your letterbox Hayden Fob too? Uh, yes, it is. It is. Yeah. Cool. Letterbox me. Is that a thing? Letterbox me. So follow follow me on Letterbox. Write somebody. Letterbox yeah. me. I mean, people might fight in the comments. Yeah. Well, that's oh, nice. We're talking about movies. That's what people do when they talk about movies. They fight and argue. <laughs> but yeah, that's where you can find Hayden. Hayden Fob on Instagram, Twitter, Letterboxd. He already spelled it, so I hope you wrote it down. Yeah. But and I'll I put it in the show notes. Letters and adding some so. letters into what it would sound like. So just give your best guess. <laughs> yeah. It'll be in the show description. So, um, yeah, that's all we have for today. I hope you enjoyed the show. It was a blast talking about Fantastic Mr. Fox. It was a fantastic conversation, I think, if you will. And so, yeah, it, it was fun having you on, Hayden. And I look forward to uh, next week's episode on Moonrise Kingdom. But until then, I've been Eli Price. And for Hayden Fob, we hope you have a great week and we will see you next time on The Establishing Shot. Thank you so much for joining us on The Establishing Shot today. We hope you enjoyed the episode and got a lot out of it. Make sure before you go to like and subscribe uh, on all your podcast platforms and especially on Spotify and Apple. If you could leave a rating and review, that would greatly help the visibility of the podcast and I would greatly appreciate it. Again, if you go to establishingshotpod.com, you can find out all you need to know about the show, where to find us on the social media platforms, where to find us podcast-wise, YouTube, Uh, And you can even leave a voicemail there on the website on the right side of your screen. So click that if you want to give a comment or ask a question about the show. Uh, Just feel free to leave a voicemail. We'd be happy to feature that on the show. And also, if you just want to email rather than leave a voicemail, you can email us at establishingshotpod at gmail.com. And we would be happy to answer your question there or feature a question or comment on the show if it pertains to uh, the episodes. So please do that. And we would love for you to join the Establishing Shot family. You can, again, find where to do that on the donate page at establishingshotpod.com. We hope you have a great week and we look forward to seeing you again next time. We're happy here for a little while. But look, I think it was this way. Better to be king for a night than schmuck for a lifetime.